Welcome to episode 55 of the Winning Six Podcast, the official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, Sites Editor-in-Chief, Adam McGee. And joining me this week, as always, we have staff writer Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. For those of you who've been listening recently, I hope you all listen regularly, but if you've only been listening recently past two weeks you will have heard us run through the point guard position and the shooting guard position we've looked at options in terms of the draft free agency and trades for the books unsurprisingly this week we've made the logical jump to small forward so we're gonna run down the players who the books might look at in some capacity or the other over the next couple of months in terms of strengthening the roster. Obviously, starting small forward isn't really up for debate, whether you like to call Giannis the small forward or Jabari, which I don't know if you've noticed this, Jordan. This is still a thing that people do. I I feel Giannis is the tree, but a lot of people feel the other way. Some people even, I've seen it out there, I want to say this might have been ESPN last year. Shooting guard? Shooting guard, Pagas and shooting guard and Milton is relegated to small forward. It's all interchangeable. It does, I mean, it really It is all interchangeable. I, I tend to, for those of you who are pedantic and are going to get upset, I tend to classify Giannis as the small forward. So for the purpose of this exercise, Giannis is the small forward, and we're going to find help for Giannis because mm. he hasn't had any this year? Inglis? No. Copeland? That equates to no help. So let's call this week's podcast. Let's find Yana some help. They could really be this whole five week series, to be honest. But <laughs> this week specifically, let's let's get Yanis some rest, maybe is even better. We'll start off with the draft. This is probably where the best players on this list are going to find themselves because as unrealistic as it is, it's the most realistic chance the books have of getting some of the best players in this position this summer. We'll start at the top, which is a debate in itself. I'm For this week, it could be different next week, but for this week, I'm going to start us off with Brandon Ingram. Before we get into that, who are you leaning towards for number one overall at the moment? I have been on this position for quite a while, and I am 
100% a Brendan Ingram fan for going number one. Okay. We're in agreement. Yeah. I've generally been Simmons, but at the moment I think I've swayed and I'm not sure if I'm going to... I'm not sure if there's going to be anything to draw me back the other way. So fitting with Ingram, starting with Ingram is fitting. <laughs> what is it about Brandon Ingram's game that you like the most that makes him project to be so special in the NBA? What is it that can make him a really effective player straight away? Um, I, I mean, I guess anything with Ingram is going to kind of be a slight to Simmons, but it shouldn't be because I, I would say they're very similar players in, in, sim, in some ways and very different players in very dis, distinct other ways. Um, that kind of, what I like about Ingram is that he's just very versatile. Obviously, if you look at him, he kind of has that Kevin Durant profile. I know Draft Express has done really good videos about where Ingram was in certain situations at the same age as Durant was when he was at Texas. Um, he's not a Kevin, I don't think he'll ever be a Kevin Durant type player, but the fact that he can shoot the ball, he's really good off the dribble, you know, offensively, he's going to be, he's very, very good. And I feel like he could fit any other, any team right away um, if they were to select him with the first overall. Um, uh, and I think too, like defensively, he is, he just has really long arms. I want to say his wingspan is like seven, four, and he's like six, nine, six, ten ish around there. So he's pretty long. Like he, in some ways he's kind of like Giannis that he, where he was kind of more, where Giannis was when he was drafted, I should say, where he was more this kind of, not freakish, but just very, uh, kind of really kind of lanky kid, but um, I I don't know. I just I really liked his game all around. I think he's just I don't know. I just see it working for him, and I think too he's only eighteen. I know in some ways people you know fall in love with how young some guys are, and I I mean it can work in some ways that where it does it doesn't work in some other ways, but. He still has a lot more to grow, but he has shown that he is pretty polished already that I feel like he can be that number one pick or should be that number one pick in that way. I, I suppose my favorite thing about him is just how smooth everything is. Um, the game seems to come really natural to him, perhaps more so than it does to Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might actually be the case. It could be the other way, but just in terms of appearance, everything seems a little easier for Ingram, and I think it will continue that way. You mentioned his, his wingspan and his long arms. It's amazing because his shooting stroke, when, when he goes to shoot the ball, his arms look way too long. It doesn't look like he should be able to shoot. His, like At the point of release, if you look at a picture of it, it's sort of a strange thing. It doesn't look like this guy should be a shooter. But he shot 41% in the season, I think, from three. It's always, he always has like, I want to say, I don't think he's ever going to be physically like uh, who I'm about to say, but it's kind of similar in the way where Kawhi shoots the ball. He has such long arms that 
the fact that he could shoot the ball and he shoot it per, like you know very mm-hmm. efficiently from various uh, ways is kind of a <laughs> crazy thing to think about because we you know there's we have one player in particular I should say with the Bucks that has great profile for his position but he can't you know get his shooting together you know. The thing with the all the comparisons, it's interesting you say Kawhi. I think Kawhi could be a better comparison for Ingram than Durant. And I don't know, maybe if Ingram does go number one, he is the first overall pick for this era of the NBA. I feel like five years ago, no team is picking him first overall. He's not the LeBron James small forward, which is the comparison that Simmons has gone on now for a long way out. He's different. He seems like a guy who, I don't know, he'll never have the, the natural talent or maybe even just the talent level that Durant has come to show. But he could be more effective. And I, I think there's ways for that. Like, there's a whole debate that could happen over it. As great as Steph Curry is, I don't know if you were to tally up everything, talent, physical tools, like LeBron, Durant, they should still have an advantage over him, but Curry has the perfect mix of everything for the time and the team he's playing in. And that really matters. And I feel like Ingram could be another guy like that, that if he ends up in the right situation longer term, he could be something incredibly special. And even if he doesn't, he should be this this excellent starter, this sort of best player on the team. He might not be a superstar, but a player who could consistently be an all-star. A player who he reminds me of around draft time is Andrew Wiggins. He feels to me very much like I felt about Andrew Wiggins, except Ingram is a better shooter, maybe a little bit of a better defender. But in that same sort of sense, I feel like he could slot in. And when you think of that, it's funny, all the, I guess, adulation and... Everything that surrounded Wiggins and Parker in that draft, we still haven't really got that with Simmons and Ingram, and that's a little strange, but we probably should have. Mm. And no matter what people think of the draft overall, the top, it looks like there's two really, really good guys. And in Ingram's case, he just he seems ready to go. The one concern I would have, and it's hard really to pick anything out of his game, it would be his weight for his height. I, d- I don't know. His frame to me doesn't look like it's going to naturally fill out like in sort of a, he'll just hit the weight room, put on 50 pounds, and that will look comfortable. He really does seem like he's going to be sort of this sort of scrawny, super slim figure, which I guess is the same thing that people would have said about Durant. But I don't know. He feels a little bit more slight in terms of his, his shape to me. That's the part where maybe it gets a little bit trickier. If he doesn't put on size, I think at the moment he's under 200 pounds or around the 200 pound mark. If he doesn't add more weight, he's not going to be able to deal with small forwards. He might be really good at reading how they play, but I mean, he just get absolutely beaten down in the post. There'd be no real way for him to compete with that. So he would have to put some weight on if that's not the case, maybe he's maybe he ends up as a two. That's a really tall two guard. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's a tricky one to quite get a handle on. Is there anything for you that you feel 
is a weak spot or something that you can sort of pick out as an area that might let him down when he comes into the league? I think probably my biggest concern is what you just said. Like, he's a very not frail kid, but it's it, you can't just like ask him to put on a bunch of weight, and that could be you know. You never know how his body will react to that type of thing. Like maybe this is just because we saw Giannis kind of go from this really thin kid to putting on some muscle in you know the last couple of years. But I would say it had to be like a progression similar to what Giannis has done in the offseason the last couple of years to kind of do it slowly but not like you know, build up your strength so it doesn't overwhelm you your how your frame is and stuff like that. And, like, you know, hampers your physical abilities, all that stuff. But other than that, I really, I don't know, I I don't really have many knocks for him um, at this point. I, I mean, that could change, you know, once he gets the NBA. And like you said, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I don't think anybody is saying there's that superstar kind of player in this draft, but – Getting an all-star is as good or is almost as good as getting a superstar and having someone that's very solid on a nightly basis. I mean, that's that's what the Spurs are. The Spurs don't have superstars and never have. Even peak Duncan, he wasn't a superstar in the sense that people, superstars are marketable guys. They're guys who build their own persona. I was yeah. talking about this with, with Ty or in relation to something, but it's funny Carmelo Anthony is a superstar. And if you look back on Melo's career and you look at how his teams have fared out, in the future, he's not going to be viewed that favorably. What people have perceived no. him as in recent years, he's not going to be seen as that special player. People will be like, how did he make 10, 11, 12 All-Star games? Mm-hmm. Um, when you saw all these, these teams that couldn't really make any imprint in the playoffs. And that's... That's the thing. It doesn't really matter. It is if you can get guys like Spurs have done where you have Duncan. He's probably the greatest power forward ever, but it was never his personality to be the superstar. He was never going to push himself to the front. Even if your players aren't at that level, though, you don't need the personality and the flash that makes someone a superstar. If you have a player who's fundamentally sound all around, that can be so much better. Yeah. Definitely. Moving on from Ingram. If Ingram goes one, I don't think there's any doubt that Simmons is going at number two, unless some team wants to do something crazy, which is always we entertaining. Have a, we have a Darko-type situation. Yeah, I, I mean, I I wouldn't mind a, a Nerlens Noel-like situation with one of Simmons or Ingram that could just let them slip to range where the books aren't too far out, and who knows? Um, never going to happen, but who knows? We said it before. Simmons. The difference with Simmons straight off the bat, similar size, a little bit taller. He's 6'10", 6'11". His weight is already in around the 240-pound mark. His body, when you see pictures or you watch video of Simmons play, he looks ready. He looks like an NBA player. He can do it all except shooting, basically, is probably the best way to describe Simmons. And in itself, I think 
that does have the potential to make things very difficult for him because I just wonder I just wonder where exactly he fits position wise in the NBA where you get the best out of him and it's best for the team because I think for him position wise because he can't shoot he's going to be pushed towards the four because you can't really get away with a non-shooting tree too easily in the NBA anymore no matter how good they are I think even the books have learned that so if that is the case, I don't know from the four, how influential can you be in terms of creating the play? Sort of getting involved from the early stages of a set in terms of playmaking. There's not too many power forwards who do that because if they do, I mean, what are you doing down low? You, you need a small forward who was pretty comfortable in the post that you could sort of switch things around like that. I don't doubt Simmons' ability, but without his shot, that does worry me a little bit, just as in how everything will mesh for him. Particularly, once again, all this stuff is important because of the way the NBA plays right now. That's probably the worst possible time for a guy like Simmons to come in with this incredible set of talent and not be able to shoot. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I don't know. It's one of those things where we've heard, I mean, in particular, I've heard about him for such a long time, even dating back to, I think this, it might have been like the year, the summer that Jabari was drafted by the Bucks. Yeah. He was right. such a big, a big high school prospect and coming from Australia, all this stuff, you know, that kind of international prospect, I think that kind of, you know, picks up his profile, kind of raises it. Um, but like you said, not having a shot, all this stuff, it just, he, I don't know, there's been some weird stuff. I mean, he wasn't challenged at going to LSU at all, honestly. It was a waste a waste of year, to be honest, because we've heard about him not going to class, all that stuff. I mean, that, that stuff, he wanted to be in the NBA if, if he could have been. But he had to go through this process, unless if he wanted to go the Brennan Jennings, Emmanuel Mude route, or maybe even go the D League. But again, those are different type of waters. Just um, on that though, would Simmons have been better doing that? Particularly, he's Australian. I so think he would. You you got to this point, go home to Australia and play professionally in Australia for a year, whatever you want to do, because that does concern me a little bit. I I don't know what he has achieved. By going to LSU, not making the tournament, not getting to, you know, not getting anywhere close, that sort of feeling of battle tested coming into the NBA. Whether a guy has a good or bad season, whether his team does, being in the mix or trying to make a run to get to the tournament, even, that's the equivalent of maybe making a run for the playoffs. And Simmons didn't get a, didn't really get a, a taste of that. No, and there's been a lot of stuff about he has, like, an uncle or advisor that works with LSU, all this stuff, and it wasn't just on him going to LSU. That program wasn't that good if you watched them this year. But the fact that he kind of went to a route, I mean, an unconventional route, he was one of the best prospects in coming out of high school, but he went to the LSU. No one really goes to LSU, well, besides Johnny O'Brien. Um, and 
I don't know. It just feels like all this the criticism that we've heard about Simmons growing the last like three to four months. It's it's kind of warranted because he went to such a weird <laughs> going to LSU is such an odd choice, and everything given that we've heard about him and signing with Rich Paul, LeBron's agent, which is I don't know. I don't I don't want to read into all that stuff, but too, but it's 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 certainly a weird. I don't know it feels different than like what we heard about Okafor last year. You know what I mean? Like in the lead up to the draft. Even in terms of for development, though, it's like why LSU? Why not go and play under Coach K or Calipari? You know what I mean? Someone with a real strong pedigree of turning guys into really solid NBA players or being in a program that's bigger in scale. So. Like, I mean, if you're playing at Kentucky, you're not quite as blinded by the lights of the NBA because that's very much as close to, as you're going to get to an NBA experience on sort of a nightly basis in terms yeah. of the professionalism of everything around you. So aside from that being sort of the, those sort of schools, I mean, the big schools and the places you're more likely to compete for national championships, I think that's also important for a prospect is – it's where you'll get the best coaching from top to bottom, not just your head coach. You'll have the sort of closest to the professional environment as you can get. And that's that's really what it should be. I mean, when you're someone like Simmons, okay, being forced to go to college, unless he gets injured, he's never going to need any part of what college had to offer for him. So he should still be learning, using it as a learning experience, though. And in that sense, it was for basketball. And I don't know if LSU was the best way to maximize that for him. I wonder in that sense, is he also maybe got to find it a little bit harder when he first gets to the NBA? Could we see a bit more of an adjustment period for him compared to Ingram? Uh, yeah. I mean, I even without the whole school situation, all that stuff, I think it, it's going to be harder for him because of he is such a particular fit. And say, if we're, we're taping this the night before the lottery, so we'll have the results. But say if he goes to a team like the Lakers, can he and D'Angelo Russell coexist? I don't think, I, I really don't think so. I don't think even with the work. even with the Lakers though. I mean, the Lakers have Julius Randle at the four. Exactly. So yeah, what are they going super small? Like I don't. I, part of me sees that as Simmons' future is if the league continues to go small. Who knows? He could grow a little bit more. I mean, he's he's not far off having a body type that could play small ball center. Yeah, and really sort of create something different. I just have trouble with calling him a small forward, which is exactly what we're doing for this week's podcast. But I think for his skill set, it's the best spot for him because at the four, I don't know what he gets to do, how he gets to show it. I have no doubts over what he can do. It's more finding the way he's going to get to show that off longer term in the NBA. That's a little bit more challenging than it is with Ingram. Yeah. That said, I mean, he is a very good player. You know, he is a great passer, a great rebounder. Um, 
Just that's the, it's just about the it's more of it's not about that he doesn't have a shot. It's just his reluctance to shoot it. That was what was most pressing about. If you watched any LSU game, especially towards the latter half of the the year, and maybe because of the whole weird situation that it was, maybe that had a influenced his motivation. I guess I don't I don't know, but. It's the fact that he is very reluctant to shoot. That he, you can be a bad shooter, but if guy, I mean a guy like Russell Westbrook, he's not a great three-point shooter, but he does still teams guard him up to the three-point line because they know that if he's open with space, he'll take he's it. Shoot it. <laughs> yeah, he'll take it, and sometimes it goes in. It's I mean it doesn't go in as much as other guys, but I know that that was the one thing that it's it's. I, I don't know. It's one of those things where you see some guys have that instinct of wanting to take the last shot, all that stuff. It's all cliche, but over the course of his freshman year, we didn't see that much with Simmons and Matt. Jordan is Jordan the first person to say that Ben Simmons does not have the clutch gene. That's what Jordan just said there. I know. Well. <laughs> I would like to be wrong because I, I like anybody succeeding, but I don't know. Well, I th- I think we've got to get there. I hear there might be some openings on shows on ESPN at the moment, which it would takes like that one, Jordan. Oh yeah. I think we've got to get you some work. <laughs> if the books make a jump in the lottery, let's say for the sake of argument, they get the second overall pick. So. If Simmons goes one, do you draft Ingram or do you trade the pick? Oh man! Oh, I think I would take Ingram. I would try to make it work and make it go really, make it super weird and. And try to make it work. I agree because I think worst case scenario is it doesn't work, and a year down the line, Ingram might have shown he's really good. And you go, look, it's not going to work. We're happy with the three guys we had before. Then all of a sudden, you'd be in a position to go, okay, um, what do you teams want to give us for Brandon Ingram? And that could be how you sort of fill out your roster in the best way possible. If the Bucks pick second overall and Ingram goes at number one, do you draft Simmons or do you trade him? Trade. Yeah, I agree. I I don't I don't see in the Bucks case like it'd be great to get. It'd be great to have the whole fun of it. Like if Ben Simmons was somehow a book come opening night throughout the whole summer, it'd be really exciting. But then when it would actually come down to it and they had to make something happen, I, I don't know. Unless unless they actually decided to go small straight from straight from the off and you're playing one of those guys at center. It has to be someone. And it's got it's gonna be Simmons. Unless you decided to try something like that, I don't see how the books could even pretend to make it work. Yeah. I mean and think too if the Bucks got a, if they were in that situation, 
is Ben Simmons automatically the biggest asset on their team? Other than that, they would. Ha- I, oh, I actually no, but you see, that. in that spot as well, because you've got to think. Say, say Philly go first overall, and they pick Ingram, and the books are second, and okay, they can draft Simmons and be trading him minutes later, but all of a sudden, you have Boston with all their assets still waiting for a star. Like, I mean, what what can you get out of Boston for Simmons? Then their pick is likely it could be the third pick, it could be it could be fourth, fifth, whatever. So you could still make out with a top five pick, maybe like the fifteenth overall pick, maybe a player as well. You're gonna be excited, Adam. This is that <laughs> like I, I feel good feelings about being a Bucks fan at this word. I happen. will say some of you might have seen this. I tweeted it earlier. I have done two sims of on Tankathon. One was just the general lottery sim. I did this about a week ago. Just once I clicked it. I went, oh, I haven't done a sim. Clicked it. Books were first overall. I thought to myself, I better not click it again. Then today, this morning, Monday, as we do this, I was putting together our daily article. Um, I had need to go and link to Tankathon. So I went there, I was on their mock draft page, and without thinking, I clicked it just the once, and I got the books first overall, which I think the, what are, are the books, 1.8%? 1.8. 1. 1.8, so that would mean there's a Less zero. Less than 2% milk. What? <laughs> that would mean... There's a less than 1% chance of what I actually did, which is simulating twice the lottery scenario and getting the books at number one on both occasions. It's probably, no, it's even more than that, isn't it? I it's got to be, I mean, if... I, I don't know, I'm not good at math. Yeah. Anyway, it's very improbable. Um, I've, I've done two simulations. I got the books at number one both times. So there's always that, but... Back to the topic, if you if you did get Simmons, I do think even the Lakers, I mean did the Lakers for like some of their players you can probably tempt them out of for Simmons even. Like they've got say Jordan Clarkson, they they could re-sign Jordan Clarkson and not want the Angela Russell or something. You know what I mean? I was just I was just gonna make a joke, but <laughs> I was gonna say bet Simmons for Roy Hibbert, straight up, let's go. <laughs> I mean, they can give us like three picks and Roy Hibbert, and the books would probably be okay with that. Yeah, I don't know it's, if everyone would be okay in the books fan base, but yeah, if that were to happen, it would be like it's it's just a humongous lottery ticket that creates a very more interesting summer than where it kind of stands right now. On that tantalizing note, <laughs> let's move likely out of the top three. I feel pretty confident in that. Um, yeah. Jalen Brown. We've talked to this privately. Jalen Brown from the Combine seems to be one of the most divisive figures that was there. There's been like such great extremes. I saw... Um, I think it was Chad Ford tweeted that a lot of teams had found them arrogant. 
they felt he didn't show good basketball awareness and he came off as generally arrogant in their meetings. Then I think it was Paul, Paul Flannery of SB Nation. Yeah, a really good like feeling on him. He yeah. he sort of gave it as more I suppose it's more that Jalen Brown is actually pretty smart so he's not arrogant he's just actually intelligent so when he's talking about some of the things that he might like to talk about or when he's expressing what his interests are there's no arrogance it's just actually who he is he's a pretty clever guy um so they're two very sort of different sides of the coin on one player and that's without getting into his actual skill set and his ability, which is probably divisive in itself. He can score. He's not an elite scorer by any means. Um, another guy isn't really much of a three-point shooter at all. I think sub-30%. He's sort of strong, but he's not that tall. I don't know. I'll be very upfront. I'm not a Jalen Brown fan. I don't like his game at all. I wouldn't be feeling particularly confident if my team picked Jalen Brown with a say a top five pick. Um, how do you feel? It's funny that you say that because I I was I I don't know I was never really st- struck by the Brown. Fever, I guess. Is that a? I don't know. Uh, I didn't know that was going around. Yeah. Uh, but now uh, I am. You know what? I I think I'm becoming a Jalen Brown fan. I want this guy to succeed. I don't understand that feeling. I, out of all the guys that I I watched the combine over, I think it was Thursday and Friday. He came off the most. Uh, I don't know. He, he. I was very impressed by him. He was very impressionable. He knew where, like the situation more than other guys. I, I would say. And I, his game. I mean, he does have clear flaws. I, mean, I guess it's not. He's kind of like a smaller. This is unfair. This is probably unfair to say too because it's a layman's perspective of it. But he's kind of like a smaller. Simmons, the very athletically Brown, like he makes crazy athletic junks. He can jump from, you know, crazy amounts of uh, of feet, I guess. <laughs> um, distance would be what amounts of feet is. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I said feet, not feet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, uh, that was poor grammar. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I and he he can be a good passer at the ball. He's more like if – the way he would have, have to work in the NBA with, if, as it says now, he'd have to have the ball in his hands a lot and he could find passes. Kind of a solid, good to great rebounder. He can be. Um, but like you said, three-point shot is a little – a little – very inconsistent – um, he's not even a good free throw shooter. Sixty-five yeah, free throw line, so that doesn't bode well for developing into a good shooter all round. That's normally a pretty, pretty good indicator. If a guy can at least shoot free throws, there might be hope. Mm-hmm. 
I I I really don't. I don't have a lot of good things to say. I I agree with Jordan. He didn't. He came off, I think, better than better than I expected him to. Maybe that was my own preconceptions and just not being a massive fan of his game heading into the combine. But I did. I found them quite likable. Any interviews I saw. Uh, it's probably worth stressing that the interviews we see are very different to an interview with a team. Um, For one, because they get asked the most ridiculous questions in these team interviews. A lot of them, I don't know what what they were. Oh, he had one particular about the Hawks. It was a riddle. The riddle is there's five machines that make five things in five minutes. How long does it take 100 machines to make 100 things? We won't tell you. Just let. Yeah, we're gonna give we're gonna the listeners some time to some time to think about it. We'll come back to this later in the podcast. You better have your answer ready. Hashtag riddle me yes. Hashtag riddle me no. Um. <laughs> We were, we were Riddler. <laughs> so we were talking about Jalen Brown and the way he came across the questions. Um, oh yeah, I know what it was. Those sort of interviews are very different to your media interviews. Um, it's very easy to add, answer questions like, "What did you pick up from your time in college? What is your best skill? Your biggest weakness?" Questions like that aren't hard if you're about to be a professional basketball player. You don't need to know things like how many machines make how many things in how many minutes. So they can throw a bit of a curveball. I guess guys' personalities come across a little bit different then. Jalen Brown, if if Jalen Brown was around a tenth overall. If he was that divisive and teams didn't get a good feeling about him and the books were up to pick and the books did interview him, so the books could well be one of those teams who That's true. They, may, Jay, they may Jay be Kenny. the team who didn't understand when he was talking about his love for chess. It's definitely possible. Um but, Jake and regularly talk on the phone. Sorry, I forgot that part. So Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's probably a little different. So if he was there at 10th overall, and that's where the books were picking, would you want him regardless of the other guys who are likely to be around there? Is he good enough that if he falls, you'd just want to take him? You know what? I think I would. Call me, uh, uh, I guess I could be talked into things, but... Is that not a terrible I, idea, Jordan? It is I'm a very just, terrible I idea. Was, I was just <laughs> asking it just to test how high you were on him, but I just worry about if the book's this, dropped... This epiphany I've had of Jalen Brown has... has a small forward you can't city. shoot is not exactly something the books need, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um... Jordan's still taking a 10. We'll move on. (laughs) I will say one more thing. I will will say one more thing about him. Defensively, I feel like he can be a very good defender. I I don't want to say it's 
Justice Winslow type guy where he has clear skills of, I mean, they're very similar in the fact that they can't shoot, multi-versatile defender, all this stuff. I think he's but too small, like, though, Jordan. Uh, he's only 6'7". I mean, Middleton, oh. is, Middleton is 6'8". Yeah, that's right. Uh. <sighs> well, yeah. I'm even. I'm being generous because he was six six point seven five was his official measurements at the combine. Oh, you gotta round up. Well, I mean, are his opposing players going to round up? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a question that he was asked? Do you it round might, up numbers? It might have been. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe the books ask questions like that. Well, other teams <laughs> ask riddles. <laughs> Numbers. I that's, why they, that's why they took Joe Alexander. Oh, Rounded up numbers. Or maybe he didn't. Maybe that's what swayed him. Um, moving on. <laughs> Timothy Luau. Megalex Wing. Timothy Luau. Player we've talked about before. Someone I think a lot of books fans were very high on for a long time. In terms of his stock, he seems to be going through his own bump in the road where some executives and some analysts say maybe he's not quite as good as people seem to think he is. Chad Ford is quite low on him. Um, I know Kevin Pelton has said his analytics model doesn't look on him too favorably. The other one actually I noticed around the combine was Fran Fraschilla. He said he's not in his top five European prospects in this draft. Um, he said he was his sixth favorite, but not top five in that, which was... Did he... Uh, so did it he... had to be Bender? Oh, I've got to test my memory now. Um, it was Bender, Korkmaz, um, Zizic, Zubak, or Zubac? I think so, yeah. Who was the other one? It might have been Hernan Gomez. Yeah, Hernan Gomez is the other one. I believe so. I think that was it. I, I, I know he definitely said he wasn't in the top five and someone asked, where's Luau? And he said, I don't have him in the five best European prospects. I'd have him as the sixth. So that's pretty interesting considering, I guess, the fascination with Luau from a lot of people for a while. I wonder, though, is... Is he another guy, like we talked about later, where his skills and his physical type is just the right fit for the league at, at present? So he's actually, he might be a better player than what his track record or maybe his ceiling suggests he could be. I have a little bit of that sort of feeling about him. I don't know, maybe some people aren't looking at it quite like that. It's a tough one. He's, he's definitely started to show, though, this isn't, there's guys in, in the draft who've been sort of bit part role players in Europe. Luau on a good team has really started to become a, a key figure and he's played very, very well. So, yeah. I'm pretty high on him. I don't know if it's the best fit for the books with their pick. How do you feel, Luau? Has your opinion changed? We've talked about him lots of times before. Are you trending away from like many others i will not i have or i will not i have not 
turn away from him. I, I still really like him. I, I still see – I agree with you 100% too. Like, where the NBA is going, he is – he fits that kind of wing, versatile wing um, kind of guy. Um, I, there will be – it's going to be tough for him to uh, to maybe operate without the ball because I, I think he has – primarily been one of their or kind of like initiated the offense for Mega Lex. Um, so I, I wonder if say if he were to be on the Bucks how that would work, but um I don't know. I, I again he's just with what he could do and he has a lot of potential still, but like it's kind of like with Ingram or guys in that similar category where he still has a lot of potential, but you already see how good he is. There is some, I guess, polish to him. I think that's that would be how to put it. Um, I, so, despite the international waters being choppy for Luwawu's prospects, I still like him. I just wanted to say that part. Sorry. We expect no less, Jordan. Um, <laughs> I. <laughs> I think one of the other questions, and maybe reasons why people are starting to get a little down on him, one of the big questions from quite, for quite a while has been his jump this year has been pretty significant. And say, for example, his shooting. This is a guy who didn't attempt a three-pointer in his first pro season, uh, only attempted 0.5 per game in the second. He made none in his first two seasons. The third season got up to 28.7%, and this year shot 35.7%. So everything's sort of trending upwards, but even that jump, to call him a shooter might be generous based on the fact that we've really only got one season's worth of evidence for it. And, I mean, when we talk about contract years, if you're a player who's about to enter the NBA draft, it's maybe the biggest contract here you have because it's the one that gets you your first contract. So that might be a little tricky to buy into. Also, his role did increase significantly, which you've got to think that shows the progress because if his coaches are going to give him more minutes, he's obviously developing as a player. But the likes of his points in particular, big jump, more than double this season. Is a limited sample size a concern? I guess more than, say, in his case, competition is shouldn't really be the biggest issue, but limited sample size is maybe something to be a little bit wary of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I would say yeah. I, I can't really add on to that because <laughs> it is we have seen guys kind of go through streaks or slumps and all that stuff and uh, like you said it, i don't know I, I i don't know it's it's weird to say that he has jumped so far and then to kind of be <laughs> intrigued by that but at the same time uh be wary of it i i i, I don't know I, that seems a little i don't know it seems that i don't understand that to be honest but uh that is Draft ex, some draft experts' opinions. So, moving on from the wow. Um, let's see who we do next. 
Victorian Prince. A guy who I feel like his stock has sort of quietly moved in the wrong direction. And at the same time, I'm not 100% sure why. To me, he seems like a very solid 3D small forward. If you want the next Damari Carroll, the next Jay Crowder, this might be the place to look for that. And that feels like somewhat of a somewhat of a stereotype, even because of things like appearance, hairstyle, but it sort of translates through to his game as well. Is there maybe a little bit of a bias of Prince in the wrong way because his ceiling doesn't seem as high as some other guys? Maybe there's players where you convince you can convince yourself that they have much more upside than they really do. But to me, with Prince, he seems like a pretty solid bet for someone who could be a reliable role player for years to come. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I, there's another aspect that they touched upon in the draft combine broadcast. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was Fran Pichol again. That he said he, Prince is from Baylor, and Baylor has not they, – they don't have a great track record of prospects, Perry Jones being probably the biggest – "Quote unquote bust um, out of all of them, so I, I that is I think could play into how teams look at him um, and maybe draft experts as well. Is but, that like, is that mostly because of Baylor's famed, I guess, love for playing zone defense? Is that does that make teams uncomfortable maybe with translating exactly how defensively a player is going to? fit in the NBA because they feel like they haven't got as close a look maybe as they have with other guys? That, uh, now that you mentioned it, yeah, I, I could see that too. And I think that also plays for a school like Syracuse because they are so notorious for playing zone. <laughs> we have uh, a good example of, of that on, on the Bucks right now uh, uh, with Mike Carter-Williams. Uh, unsurprisingly, not Tyler Ennis, which – I don't know. That was, I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, I think I don't know. It is that again. That is kind of a weird situation again because I think that more that's something that front offices kind of think about more than regular fans or experts think of, or or scouts, I should say, of that you know, like Draft Express, all these, you know, ESPN. Like, say, say in the books case, though, because defense is obviously such a pressing need. Now, we should probably stress, Torian Prince is not going 10th overall. He's a mid-first-round pick, maybe even back towards the latter half of of the draft. So for the books to actually end up with him, it would involve them picking up another first-rounder from somewhere. But say if it was the books and they were looking at him, in theory, he can shoot at a decent rate. He looks to have all the tools for sort of to be a really good, solid defender. But we know at this stage, the books' defensive philosophies are so specific and they have their own sort of idiosyncrasies yeah, to them. So in that sort of scenario, are the books like the perfect example of a team who 
without getting a real look at what a guy can do. Okay, it's good that he's played some zone and you know, okay, he can he can work in that role, but without getting to see sort of a really good dose of man-to-man as well, you don't get a true sense of who he is as a defender. Would yeah. that scare a team like the Bucks, where their own defense has been noted by certain players? You mentioned Dennis, um, which is actually maybe interesting considering the Syracuse connection. But he talked about in his exit interview this summer that it was like nothing he'd ever seen before when he came for Phoenix trying to adjust to the defense. And he felt he only got a grasp on it when he was out injured and got to watch from the bench for a while. Yeah, I, I would I would hopefully like to think that they do take that into uh, consideration. Um, but uh, <laughs> I... Your guess is as good as mine when it comes to stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. That is, it is a weird, weird thing too. And they even brought up too. Uh, I believe his name is Tom Penny. He worked with uh, Portland, I believe, in Memphis in their front office. And he even said something, not to take this guy's word as gospel or anything like that, but teams do recognize the fact that. They'll pay attention to some schools more than other schools because of their if their track record with prospects are better than others, they might lean towards one way, say a Duke guy, over a guy like a Baylor guy because of you know history, and that's I I never really thought of that before because you don't you like to think of a prospect as their own like you don't yeah you think of the individual rather than sort of the context that they get to this point exactly but it i suppose if when it's not just fans do this this is what front offices have to do you have to make projections with these guys as well like there's very few players where you can draft them as the 18 19 20 21 year old and say okay with what that guy is now i'm confident that he could fit in and contribute to the team so when you're making projections, you've got to sort of weigh up, well, in this scenario or in this style of play, how is this guy going to fit in? If we ended up playing this way, how does it work out? Now, things like that maybe become a little bit more important. So I, I'm i not going to lie, I have put no thought into that before it came out of my mouth earlier, but it does seem to be logical maybe for a reason why a guy like Prince who seems like a safe bet for a good rotation player for a long time, could end up going lower than guys who will really do very little in the NBA, but looked to have potential to be something a bit more. Definitely. Moving on for Prince. A player of the books interviewed. Um, one of two players from St. Joe's that the books interviewed. DeAndre Bembry. Bembry to me is is an interesting prospect, as I wrote when I profiled him in some briefly in some capacity. It might have been for our last big board, uh, but I know that he does have the best hair and beard combo in this year's class. Definitely. Hands down, there's no competition from from to have both the hair and the beard is impressive. Actually, I don't know. Well, oh, it's a very good afro. But Toria Prince, when he's got his hair, actually, I tweeted out a photo. There's a photo of him running down the court, and his hair is stuck up in like 
different directions is very intriguing. But actually, you know, I'll, I'll go back to Beverly. He does have the best hair. Best hair. This is very ma manicured, I guess. So to get away from Bembry's hair and beers just a little bit, to get into his game, he's another guy, there's quite a few of these this year, a wing who hasn't quite figured out his shot. And for Bembry in particular, I feel like that could be a problem. The one thing I would say about him is he just seems to be sort of really wily is the word I want to use. He's got some sort of, and he have seen him, I feel like he's got a sort of veteran know-how in some ways for just sort of to find ways to score in spite of being relatively young. I think he's only a 21-year-old guy. He can do a lot. He's a good rebounder. He's comfortable passing the ball as well. I want to say he was the top scorer in one of the combine scrimmages, not to read too much into that, but I think he was one of the more consistent performers across the two days. And there was a lot of talk about his stock rising from what people seen. He probably earned himself a few more workouts that he might not have had before. What do you make of him as a player? I mean, is he intriguing enough that he could be a guy who even as a sixth man will come in and he just knows how to, knows how to score and knows how to put the ball in the basket and you could turn to him for spells and time or, is it a bigger issue that he doesn't have that shot? Is that something that could really hold him back in the NBA? Um, there's certainly a fair amount of that. Uh, it could hold him back because he is a way you'd like to, you'd like to see him have a better jump shot. Um, that said, he is a very good, he still knows how to score, you know, drive to the paint solid. He's not, Crazy athletic, but athletic enough that he knows how to get to the hoop and stuff like that. And he's a really good passer too. Like mm -hmm. that's what kind of propelled St. Joe's in their um, their run. I think they made. I want to say they made the second round of the tournament. That sounds right. Could be wrong. Yeah, uh, you're gonna have to trust your own judgment on that one. Yeah. I don't, I don't trust that. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I think right now, as he is, he would be a very solid wing off the bench, six man type guy. Um, but if he can figure out his jump shot, you never know, he can become something more than uh, we expected. If I don't know, I, from what I saw of him in the combat again, you don't want to take these uh, results as gospel. I'll use that reference again, but <laughs> um, he looked very impressive. It just, he, his awareness and you could tell that he was, it felt like he was more experienced than a 21 year old uh, guy. So he was very impressive. I, I do like him a lot. Yeah. He sort of shown as in a way as if he'd sort of been around the block before. That's that's the whole feel, that's the whole vibe I get from him is that he does sort of know what he's doing. He probably wouldn't be phased. He just doesn't come across like he doesn't come across like a guy you're gonna draft. He doesn't feel like he's going to be a rookie next year. And 
there's definitely some real value in that, and particularly where he'll likely go in the draft, where he's going to go to a playoff team in all likelihood. So maybe there's a chance for him to contribute sooner rather than later in that sort of scenario. Moving on from DeAndre Bembry, we've got one last draft prospect. This one is a Jordan Tresky special request. Exclusive. I didn't want to quite go exclusive. I feel like that might set you up for a fall, but you've done it now. So a Jordan Tresky exclusive. Tell us all about Mr. Paul Zipser of Bayern Munich. Yes. Uh, for a little, this won't, I don't think this will come up by the time the podcast no. comes up, but it'll be. Unless, unless you plan on finishing it right now. You know, uh, I'm kind of busy, but uh, um, uh, it will be done this week for you to see, Mr. Paul Zipster. Um, He's 22 years old. Uh, I want to say this is his third year, or was his third year? I'm not. I'm not sure if they're still playing. Um, uh, I think they'd be finished. Yeah. He's a solid, he's not a first round pick. He, I would say, I think actually right at, based on what Draft Express's new update, I want to say he's a 43rd pick. But uh, he's a very good, He, I don't know, He. I like him as really well as a role player. He's a solid three-point shooter. It's, it is three years. It's not, it's a big, again, a limited sample size, but he's shot 38%. Um, 50% from the field. Uh, he's 22 years old. Um, so he can easily be a, like a drafted stash type of guy if the Bucks so want to go that route. But um, I don't know. There is a little bit of cockiness, too. I told I was telling Adam about this before. But he has that kind of, not to the level of Hazonia, but that similar type of DNA of he'll let his opponents know if he, you know, kind of, Throws it down on them and it'll stare them down, which I don't know. I I find it amusing, but I can see why other people find it grating. But uh, I don't know from what the Bucks, as we'll get into uh, with free agents and trade targets, Bucks need a backup three, and Zipser could easily be what they need because, like I said, he's a good shooter. He's only 22 years old, and again, when it comes to second round picks. It's great to have a guy like Chris Melton or Draymond Green and all that stuff, but some guys, if they don't reach a crazy high ceiling, if they're just a role player, that's – if you find them in the second round and in the 40 range or 38 pick with the Bucks, that's that's pretty solid. So I, I like Zipster a lot, and I think people will once they read the profile. Um, what a way to big up your profile. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a not school quite as, Not quite as convincing at the end there, but that was, that was Jordan's Yeah, I, I trailed him off. He will not trail off in the article. It will be emphatic. A lot of exclamation points. Uh, as the editor, no. I, will, I will overrule that one. But <laughs> Jordan might try. <laughs> Moving on from the draft. That was a lot of draft. I feel that was more draft than we did at any other position. 
It's hard. I would, I would say, uh, you can make a, a good argument that small forward is probably the best crop positionally. I I like center because I feel there's yeah. a lot of guys who could be there's not there's not a top center but there's a lot of guys who could be centers in the league for years to come. Um, yeah. Looking through say the top sixty, so I do like center. But yeah, you're probably I mean any position that's going to start out with Ingram and Simmons is going to be in pretty good spot to begin with. But there is some <laughs> behind that too. So yeah, there is there's a good case. Free agency. It's it. This is the strongest position in free agency as well. It just so happens that we're not going to be talking about the guys who at the top end of that make it the strongest position, because it seems very, very, very unlikely that the books are about to land Kevin Durant or LeBron James or Harrison Barnes or even Chandler Parsons. Um. They all seem like guys that the books wouldn't necessarily be able to sign, wouldn't be able to attract, wouldn't want to sign. They don't have the need. I mean, of course, they would take LeBron or Durant if they want to come. But let's take them out of the equation. And when we take them out of the equation, things don't look so pretty. So you're uh, saying, so you're saying uh, no hashtag KD to MKE? I think, I think I might have done that before. So it's it was it was Sounds popular better. for a, for a, for a time. Yeah, I I don't know if I played any part in that, but it does sound familiar. <laughs> I'm gonna say no to that right now. Yeah. Um, I can't quite wrap my head around how that would work, but yeah, okay. The guys that we do have, let's let's start off with a real heavyweight. Evan Turner. <laughs> Evan Turner, free agent this summer. Um, he is not a shooter. No. I would say that isn't necessarily a reason to rule him out straight away, in spite of the book's desperate need for that. In spite of, I think I said last week, and it probably still stands true, that the book should really be looking for a shooter in almost every guy they get this summer who isn't a center. The one thing that I like about Evan Turner... In Milwaukee, he's likely not going to be a starter unless something went horribly wrong. If Giannis is going to run the offense for the starting five, Evan Turner might be a nice way to sort of replicate that in a in a very sort of <laughs> watered-down way in the second unit. But just to give some sort of consistency of feel throughout of what you're looking to do, how the offense runs... So that even when you're staggering lineups, there's a, a real consistency or guys feel comfortable with it. He's a really good passer, good rebounder. Uh, he could score the ball as well. He can do all the things that made him go, I want to say, second overall. Yes. Yeah. Um, he, can, he can do all of those things, just generally not at once. And he likes to sort of get in his own way at times, too. I sort of like the idea of having a guy off the bench who can go and create and can score. The books desperately lack that this year. How would you feel about Evan Turner? 
But the scene goes, um, every hero needs a villain. <laughs> and uh, Evan Turner could easily fit that bill. I don't know who the hero would be. Maybe Janus, Janus. I think they're the two signs of the, the two sides of the point forward coin. Oh, that's a good coin. Uh, anyway, um, I like him. I like, I think he has finally found that role that, uh, again, he's not the second pick type of guy that many people envision coming out of college. But he, it's still a very good role, and he was very good for that Celtics team. And I think we kind of saw when Avery Bradley went down the heap. He was, I don't know, he he kind of gets this rep that he's kind of like a, a defensive, uh, I guess, a, is it, a, uh, what is it, saloon door? It opens. I, I would like I, I would use turnstile. I don't know if you guys have turnstile, that. Turnstile, there we go. Okay. Thank you. You do, so yeah. But definitely yeah. turnstile over saloon door. Yeah. Um yeah, to actually now that you think about it, turnstile is basically just like an updated saloon door. Right? It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, kind of. I don't know. <laughs> You're reaching, but, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh I, I don't know, he is Let's face it, he's going to be a, probably close to a top 10 for Egypt this summer. Maybe that's... I think that's I think that's generous. That's a, Are you sure? Yeah, I think so. Have we, we have to... Do you remember the guys that we yeah, talked about? Yeah, but it's not, the guys, it's not the guys we talked about that's important. It's the guys we're not talking about. So there's like three to four guys every oh, week yeah, that we're not talking about because look, it's not going to happen. I mean, he's top ten of the guys we're willing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I know. I also have this feeling that he. Oh, this is my. This is putting going out on a limb. This is my official jumping off the fence. I guess. Wow. As Adam likes to put it, uh, I feel like in theory he does a lot of things that MCW should do. So I would think that it might be a redundant fit. It's a redundant I, because he actually does them though. <laughs> See, I thought you were gonna say he, he does a lot of the things that MCW does do and I, I don't really feel that I agree with you he sort of is the package of he can score a little he can rebound he can pass he's long so defensively that has its benefits he is bigger though I mean he's yeah he's, he's, he, he's a, a powerful guy. sort of frame he can play a little bit in the post like this is a little bit like describing MCW I just feel like for all the criticism he gets and he is the punchline of many jokes. I think Evan Turner does a lot of those things where MCW maybe gets talked about for he can do those things. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Like yeah, to I be clear, think... when I when I said I like him as an option that could mirror what Yanis was doing in a second unit sort of way, that was my way of saying, well, in that scenario, obviously MCW is gone. 
I wouldn't want any part of an MCW Evan Turner run second unit. That is not very nice. I mean, they could do things. They might be bad things, but they could definitely do things. You can definitely do things. Um, I think Evan Turner surrounded by shooters would be really something quite nice to have come off the bench. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he has kind of gone – he's found his role. That's that's probably the most important thing. You know, coming up – it was only like two years ago he was on that Pacers team and it just – it wasn't his arrival. To uh, he was blamed, team. though. He was blamed. He was certainly blamed. That's true. But um, I, I don't know. He's certainly found his role. I mean, he. what's funny is he is kind of – uh, maybe not in the same way, but he is a very similar player to what the Pacers had with Lance Stevenson. Yeah, I agree. Now, um, that's actually that is funny. Funny how things work. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I he would be solid, but I do just have questions of coexisting if the Bucks are you know keep MCW and all that stuff. Part of why I like him is I do think there's enough of a stigma attached to him still that he wouldn't be overpaid. I don't think any GM is brave enough in themselves to overpay Evan Turner. I think th- there could be some value to be found in Evan Turner this summer. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Uh, you know, and uh, if that's the case, like I, I do think the pace, or I do think not the Pacers, I do think the Celtics would pay him. But it just yeah, depends. Think... It depends what else they have going on. Whether they need that money to chase bigger free agents. But like, I mean, clearly it's worked for him in Boston. Brad Stevens likes what he's doing. Maybe that's something we should be wary of too. Brad Stevens is advertised as a very good coach. Maybe the fact that he sort of found his role while playing for Brad Stevens is something that should be a red flag, that it's not necessarily he's figured it out more than he's playing under a coach who's good enough to figure him out. Yeah, it might, that might not translate to another team. Like, <laughs> funny, like we saw with Lance Stevenson. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the parallels are intriguing. Moving on from Evan Turner. Uh, uh, funnily enough, uh, Indiana Pacers small forward Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill had a nice sort of solid season. He was a big part of what made Indiana quietly good. Um, they sort of, without uprooting any trees, just sort of kept chucking along until they found themselves in the playoffs. Played pretty well against the Raptors. Really should have won that series. He was a guy who even in that series and towards the end, he stepped up in a pretty big way. He is 25 years old. Good sort of physical profile. He's long. He's not a lights out shooter, but he can occasionally get hot and make shots. He's a 32.5% career three-point shooter. Um, in the playoffs this year, 
he did shoot 57.9% from three. So he can get him open looks. He can knock down shots. Boy, if only that game winning shot went in, that could yeah. be over 60. Yeah. Over 60. <laughs> I mean, he's he's pretty reliable and solid all around. He's not going to get anybody too excited if he was to sign. But it would be a big step towards solidifying the second unit, bring some defense, bring a touch of shooting, even if it isn't three-point shooting. I mean, he can make mid-range jumpers. How would you feel about Solomon Hill being a book? I have been on this hill, quote-unquote, for a while now. <laughs> um, I actually wrote uh, around the trade deadline for Hoops Habits, that the Raptors should have traded for Solomon Hill. That is in my archives. Look it up. Uh, but uh, I, I, it is very – and I will say that's a perfect segue to the Pacers, or I should say Larry Bird and company, they declined his rookie option. Yeah. So he is a unrestricted free agent. The most they can give him is a qualifying offer of, I believe, $2.3 million dollars. So, I mean, I don't understand if you were to. They're, take that they're not going to have any interest in keeping them anyway. They're no. what, whatever sort of madness they've got going on right now. They aren't thinking about re-upping guys like Solomon Hill and being good and building gradually. They're, I don't know. They're interested in being disastrously bad, making terrible decisions. It looks like. Yeah, and they're going solo without Hill. So. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I <laughs> I really like Solomon Hill. I think he unfortunately will probably get overpaid to a good team that will use him correctly. What's the overpay for Solomon Hill, though? I mean, I can't see. Well, him. I, to a casual fan, if someone's someone saw Solomon Hill get Alfaruk Amino type money. Eight million, let's say seven million dollars. Yeah, I think seven million is about the number that he could get, and you could probably get him cheaper. He could end up going five, six million. Seven's probably pushing it, but I'd be, I'd be okay. Say four years, twenty-eight million for Solomon Hill. He's only twenty-five. I would too, but I think that is also a signing that people scratch their heads at, and you know, look. My counter to that is, in the old cap, and this is always my go-to, some of you who are loyal listeners might know where I'm going now, but in the old cap, OJ Mayo was making $8 million. So if you can get like an actual basketball player who does things like stays healthy, stays in shape, doesn't chase referees around the court for less than $8 million, Doesn't it touch Draymond Green's head. Well, I quite like that bit. I mean, his highlight of the season was he he sort of played that leadership role well when he stuck up for his younger teammates in a way that didn't involve him completely losing his mind during that whole week of Warriors fun. I don't know if you saw, there was a, a stat that was going around that he was a part of the, the Bucks' best trio with Middleton and Giannis. The point, the net rating was 0.8 points. Well, let's, you know, let's get rid of Jabari, and we've got the big tree. Mayo, Middleton, and Giannis. 
Point Mayo as well. Don't put the ball MGM. in Yannis' hands. Let Mayo run the show. What a great idea. MGM Studios. When you say that was going round, were people were people talking about that in some sort of way to positively endorse OJ Mayo? I don't know. Do people still do that? Yeah, I, I guess. Um. Yeah, but where that brought us anything below eight million, even eight million now with the cap rising, longer term is not that bad. I mean, your roster is likely going to have sort of three guys paid roughly in around the there. Um, so I'd be okay with Solomon Hill being one of them. Yeah. And the next guy, not so much, but he's a player who. I don't know if there's been any real rumors or if it's just that he sort of seems to fit in some ways and doesn't fit with his team or I don't know. Ryan Anderson. I don't know why I have Ryan Anderson here. He plays a lot of stretch four. He probably should be a small forward, but with the way things are changing, he's a little bit of a four. We're here now though. So let's talk about him. Yeah. Um, I mean, he is, like you said, a stretch forward, really good shooter. Um, I think that's a – I mean, defensively, he's kind of – he's a turf style, if anything. Uh, um, I don't know. He's a lot and, younger than I thought he was. He's only 28. He looks older. Hmm. He's, he gets his injuries when he gets injured, he gets injured bad though. And I mean, he's likely to miss about 20 games a season and a good season. Yeah, that's a good season. Um, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a stay away in my book just because. In the growing cap, maybe he could easily make sixteen a year, sixteen million what? a year. Sixteen million for Ryan Anderson. I mean, if you're paying for, he is he is a, a I guess a spot starter, six man type guy. He's I would sixteen million for Ryan Anderson. If any NBA team decides it's, uh, I'm gonna regret this because the books will do it now. But if any NBA team decides it's a good idea to pay Ryan Anderson upwards of upwards of ten million, like with any length on the contract, it's gonna happen. Well, they should all be fired. No, what? Well, they should all be ostracized from society. Fired isn't enough. <laughs> it's what? it's ridiculous. He doesn't do enough. He's not actually all that good he can score he can shoot but he, he's not really if you look a little bit deeper one of his teammates i feel is the classic example of this because people still love him and i can never understand why eric gordon i've got oh. a real passionate distrust for eric gordon's game he can score but he's not really that good that doesn't no. mean you're good it's, um, he gets hurt too in a very similar way yeah. Basically, most of the Pelicans roster does that, but yeah, it's no coincidence, by the way, that their season sort of fell apart 
due to injuries because when you have a roster which is like made up of Ryan Anderson, Drew Holiday, Eric Gordon, even like Omer Sheik, yeah, these are all guys who are very injury prone. So put them all together, and you know that is sort of what's going to happen. It's a little bit different to what happened in Memphis, say for example. I I don't want really any part of Ryan Anderson unless everyone feels like I do about him and he only gets paid like the OJ Mayo 8 million, then maybe I'll listen. But uh, if some team pays Brian Anderson like 12 million upwards, like proper double digits, wow. I will say too, not to scare you even more, but he did go to a certain school in California. Like, are you are you suggesting that Jason Kidd speaks to him on the phone? Yes, he does. He, speed dial. He's in his he's in his five on five. Um, you know what? That, well, promotion. We have all these rumors of deals that nearly happened and then didn't happen with the Pelicans. And well, oh, that's another thing, Shad. I saw people talk themselves into taking riders for two months. Those people should also be sent to the court field. <laughs> See, I I didn't do that even when I tried to talk myself into Pelicans deals. I was talking myself into Drew Holiday. I feel like there's more to talk yourself into on him than there is Ryan Anderson. Drew Holiday was an all-star, and I think he's a good player if he gets healthy, gets consistent playing time, things like that. I don't think Ryan Anderson is that good. There's no danger of him ever being an all-star. The one thing I will say is... He's got good size, and with his shooting touch, it's a good time for him to be in the NBA. And maybe teams just—it's a good time for him to be a free agent because he's yeah, going to get. Maybe teams just are so <laughs> desperate for floor spacing big man that they do something stupid. But don't be that team, books. Don't do it. <sighs> um, the next guy. Someone who probably should be paid sixteen million, and with that in mind, maybe shouldn't be on this list. But as we are, here's Nicholas Batum. Nick Batum is an interesting one. I feel like he's going to be on the move. I'm not convinced that he's particularly keen on staying in Charlotte, and I don't think they believe he's going to stay. And the Raptors rumors have been around for quite a while. I think I saw today the Knicks really like Nick Batum. He's one of their top targets for the summer. That's a weird fit. See, the thing with Batum is he sort of... Uh, people have like made him into a shooting guard. No, no, no. But he's a small forward. He can he, he even be a, at times a stretch forward. I think it's a more natural fit from them playing the two. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't I don't see that. That's a weird team. I str- I struggle with. I know a lot of people like the idea of Batum with the books. If you were going say without a traditional point guard, you throw Batum into the mix. It doesn't feel all that natural to me. No, um, and I've been a, I've been a huge Batum fan for a while. Um, and I just I don't see it I, as much as I would like to see him in a Bucks uniform. I think he is. They just don't I need him. Talk, I mean, what? 
just don't need him, I think, is the thing. With, yeah. the, with the price he's going to command, they've got a better version of him as their exactly. guy for the future. It's like... We, he is he is a very... We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's a very similar to Giannis. He, maybe right now he has a better jump shot than him, but that's probably the only thing that really is dissimilar between them, uh, both him and Giannis. Um, and again... I, if, no, if he doesn't get a max contract, I, I'd be really surprised because he's still really young. I think he's only 27 still. Um, I, I think he can age well too. Like it might be a lot of money, but I don't know. He just fits. He's a very. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I just see him fitting any type of team and. My money is that he goes to Toronto. Honestly, I think that just makes too makes so much sense that it would be dumb for them not to go after him. I just think he's he's good enough to be like a like a top tier second option, maybe on a good team. And to be honest, I think he would be that in Toronto, even if they resigned the Rosen. I think Batum is probably your second best player. Um, that might be an unpopular opinion there, but I'm. That's a guy we didn't talk about because he's going to be too expensive. But that's a really sort of fascinating situation this summer, as in what do you do with Demar Derozan? Um, but Batum is excellent. I mean, versatile player on offense, versatile player on defense. He's going to do everything you need your wing to do. And he's going to do a minimal fuss. You're not always going to notice the good, but there isn't going to be the bad to notice either. And there's so much value in that. Really, really great player. He is going to command. I mean, Damari Carroll got 15 million last year. Yeah. So Batum's got to get at least that. Has to. Yeah. So and he has I... more, of a, more of a track rate. I mean, honestly, in. Where we're heading right now on this summer, all teams need is just maybe even like two months as a sample size, and they'll give size. I mean, Alfred Gramino, not to bring him up again, but he really, whether the Blazers were going to pay him that or not, that playoff series when he was on Dallas against, I think it was Houston, he really showed that, oh, that he could fit with any type of team because he is a very versatile defender all that um so it doesn't take much for teams to overpay for a guy in this in this sense but it i mean that's where everything's going so yeah moving on from nick patum guy on the other end of the scale luol Deng. Well, Dang was someone I hadn't really thought about until pretty much today when I was putting this list together. And I sort of like it a lot if the books could find a way to do it without paying him a whole lot of money. And I'm not convinced he is going to get a whole lot of money anymore. It's a tricky one because I guess his health history is so checkered. He has got a lot of miles on the clock. Um, famously, Tom Thibodeau put the miles of about six players all on Lou all day. Yeah. He's a frequent flyer. Yeah. He can play a 
bit of the four now as well. He did quite a bit of it with the Heat and did, did it with some success too. Traditionally, he is, I guess, your stereotypical 3 and D wing. Not necessarily your most efficient three-point shooter, but can make the shot no problem. Um, he'll be able to slash and score inside. Very good rebounder for his size. About as reliable a defensive wing as you're going to get, probably. A really nice player. On the wrong end of things. He's actually only 31, which surprised me a little. Um, but he plays older for the reasons we've mentioned before. I feel like he might be the perfect type of veteran guy to come in. The one worry I'd have about that is that was the situation he was, or the role he was supposed to take on in Cleveland when he went there. And that went disastrously bad. He seems to thrive with good teams. Um, but when he has to do a little bit more, it doesn't work so well. First off, what sort of money do you think he get? Is he is he realistic? Uh, personally, I don't think so. I think he... Mm, $12 that's I mean, so much, so much money for Luol Deng now. Did he get like ten million with the Heat? Maybe nine, a little under nine. It was nine, yeah. I mean, that really is what just a it's twenty five percent increase. What he was making. Yeah, but at that stage, I mean, he's had a good year, but he's not. You know, I mean, it doesn't seem like a year that gets you an increase, even relevant, relative to the cap. It's yeah. probably about time that his salary starts to scale down a little bit. I mean, that's what it is doing. His last deal, last year of his deal with the Bulls, 14.2 million. That's what he earned. So he has started to scale down. I think he could be a candidate for around 8 million. Now, at that mark... I think you'll have teams queuing up for him at eight million, and he'll have his pick of probably situations teams are more ready to win now, and that would be the tricky part to actually get him. But I do think he could be available around the eight million mark. Mm. Even mean... even if it was ten, even if it was ten. So I I don't think like he signed a two year deal with the option to opt out last year. I don't feel like he, of course, he'll want like five years and whatever. I give him his last big payday. I don't think he's going to get that, particularly with the miles on the clock. So I think he could be like a two year guy. I mean, I'd be happy with paying him two years, 20 million. And then he's out of the way when the books sort of need that out of the way, but he can offer some veteran influence while still giving the skills the books need for a couple of seasons. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I ultimately think, like how he was brought in Miami, he's going to be a guy that if – a perfect perfect example would be like Charlotte. If they lose Nick Batum, they're, they're looking who's on the market. Oh, there's a guy that can kind of be similar to what we have with Nick Batum and Luol Deng. And I feel like that's where he's going to go. Maybe even a team like the Hawks, they lose Baysmore. 
Det, mm. Hawks det, and Luol Deng. Ja. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not, not the first time down that road. Yeah. I suppose you're right. Maybe maybe I'm underestimating that part of it. For him, he's not he might accept less money at this point in his career, but is he gonna accept a lesser role? Yeah, well, that's. I think that's. That was. I was just about to say that. That's my biggest question. Is he's uh, the way he played this year. I don't think he's in that mindset. Oh, my career is. It's certainly on the on a, the downtrend, but I I still think he thinks that he can be a valuable member to a team, and and because of that, or as a result, he wants to get similar or same amount of playing time that he's had with the Heat. Um, so I, I I think that might be a bigger reason why I just don't see him entertaining the Bucks. But you um, mean I mean he could be though. See I agree with that. I just I do still think there's the potential for him to have a really big role with the books coming off the bench and even in terms of minutes. I mean let's see what did he play with the Heat he played. 30, uh, 32 minutes a lot. I'm sort of surprised he played that much. Um, but 32 minutes a game. Like, if the Bucks were in a spot where, particularly say if they draft the young point guard, well, that's their starting point guard, you'd have to feel there'd be long stretches of the game where they would go without a traditional point guard, have Giannis run it and bring an extra wing in. Like, in that sort of scenario, he'd be a nice fit where he can play some time with the second unit, but he will play heavy minutes with the starting five as well. It would take some selling. I don't think the books are beyond that, though. This is, this is one of the things I do have faith in the books in. Um, the Jason Kidd allure for players, it, that was something even notable to me at the Combine when players talked about him in interviews. No matter what we want to say about Jason Kidd's coaching, about Jason Kidd's way of doing things um on and off the floor he's a legendary figure and that matters to people and it draws people in and he clearly still has that aura and still makes that impact and the ownership are very smart from everything we've been led to believe everything we've heard except the weird marlon wayne's thing even though that worked <laughs> they they also do a great job of pitching and convincing guys that this is a place to be. So I, I do buy into the book's ability to sort of win people over on the hard sell. I, that's the one thing I'm, I would say I'm very confident of going into this summer is that they have a pitch that they feel can work. And I'd like to think there will be someone who maybe we think, well, that wasn't an option that they'll talk around, whether that's someone pretty low-key that they just get to take a little bit less money to come and play from Milwaukee or whatever it is. I do think they have that in them. And maybe that's where someone like Deng doesn't seem out of out of question for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree with what you said. I just... Um... I don't know. He's a weird kind of subject because I think he still is very 
highly regarded around the league. People kind of saw him. Uh, I mean, he was a lot. He was a lot better the second half of the year after they lost Bosch and they moved into uh, the four. Um, so maybe that's where he goes now. I mean, he makes sense. He's still the whole thing is still a very solid player. He does have a lot of miles, like you said, but. I don't know. I just don't. I don't know if he wants to accept that type of role. Where give him, this is probably his last, or it will be his last big swing at a, a lot of money. So, um, I, that's I. I. I don't know. I. I'd be really surprised if that were to happen. Moving on from Lou Aldenga. The next guy we're going to talk about is. An old behind the book pass favorite. Um, I was the biggest advocator on this train last year, and I kept saying, Someone's gonna get him, it's gonna happen, he's gonna go for nothing. And he did, and it was the books. I am, of course, talking about one Maurice Moharkless. How could you be Moharkless? Exactly, Jordan. Um, for anybody who has some time on their hands. If you go to YouTube, some like twelve-year-old kid did a great version of Kanye West's "Heartless," where he auto-tuned himself and did a nice little video of more heartless stuff. It's so worth your time. Um, I maybe maybe I'll maybe if I can find it, I'll include it in the post that this podcast can be found in. That might be the biggest like free agent pitch. Of anything that might be better than that Marlon's Wayans video that has yet to surface. Just every probably, time, every time you score in arena, this is what we'll play. Yeah, I mean, that, that's gonna seal the deal. Um, the interesting about Harkless played 78 games this season, started 14 for the Blazers. They come to the playoffs, they're playing the Unstoppable Golden State Warriors. He starts all those games. He started every game in the Clippers series. And he played some time at the three, some time at the four. He really showcased his versatility and who he is, what he can do. And just before I get to his season in terms of per game numbers, for the playoffs, so in 24.7 minutes per game, um, he sh- scored 11 points per game, which is pretty impressive. Tally. So that's 16 per 36. He had 5.1 rebounds per game. Um, not a lot in terms of assists, 0. 0.6, 0.9 steals. Three-point shooting was better than it has been the regular season. In the playoffs, he shot 34.1%. Can make the three. It's been inconsistent at best, though, throughout his career. Uh, regular season, he played a little bit less, 18.7 minutes, 6.4 points per game, 3.6 rebounds, and 27.9% for three. I, maybe irrationally so, feel very confident that he's a better three-point shooter than that and that that is there, it's in him. Um, His rebounding, though, is a big plus aside from that whether you put them at the three or the four, the option that you have to do that, particularly for a team like the Bucks, who have no depth at either spot, would be a big deal. I believe he's a restricted free agent this summer. 
but I also think Alan Crabb and Mason Plumley are. So the Blazers are going to have to pick somewhere along that line, and I'm going to take a guess that Mo Harkless might be the guy they let walk away. And McCollum is... Uh, they can, McCollum's up for extension, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'll get back to glowing about Mo Harkless for a minute, but what's your, what's your take on Mo Harkless? How do you feel about his game? I am a big believer in him as well. Uh, given what we saw with the trade and it being a very similar deal to Zaza Jared Dudley uh, that summer, but he's a young player. just did not make sense to me why the Magic gave up on him in a weird way. But given what we have seen with the Magic lately, that is a weird situation. Uh, the one so, thing was- just when you talk about his age there, worth mentioning, he's he's just turned 23. Yeah. So, like, say, for example, he's younger than Gary Payton, too. The he's like, Yeah, he's, like, six months younger than Gary Payton. Too. He's going to be younger than... Uh, oh, is he younger than... No, he's not younger than Tory Prince. Never mind. Um, but, yeah, he's a very young player. Uh, I, I would... I would kind of equate him to he's a. I feel like he's in the same like the type of player similar to what many hopes. I'm thinking the same thing. I'd never thought of it before, but you're yeah. gonna say the D word followed by the L word now, aren't you? Yeah, I mean he is kind of in that similar strong rebounder in theory could eventually shoot three consistently uh, versatile defensively um, it just we have seen more evidence that Harkless is that than he who shall not be named <laughs> I mean it's funny to put it like that because Harkless is one of my favorite players <laughs> I feel I feel very irrationally in terms of how much he's one of my favorite players, where everyone else seems to feel very irrationally positive towards Damian Inglis. I will name him. I will shame him. Um, <laughs> to the, the court field he goes. <laughs> I love how Jordan, I hope Jordan has identified a location for this cornfield that we're it's, now putting everyone in. It's, uh, it's, it's from the Twilight Zone. Okay, I did not know that, but I like the idea of us having a physical <laughs> cornfield where we can exile people. <laughs> um, maybe in English can be can be exiles. Um, yeah. The books might actually do that this summer. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just something a lot more real about Mo Harkless. Um, I I I just. The versatility is there. It's proven. Whether you can debate his production and he, okay, he could do it scoring a little more or he could do it passing some more. He could definitely do it making more shots. But even on the defensive end alone, if you want to take offense out of it, he's shown the capability to to switch, whether it's the two, three, or four, and to be able to just match up with anyone really in that space. It was quite telling that when you're going to go and you're going to play against the Warriors, 
those sort of positions are particularly key because you're in a space where one possession you could find yourself on Harrison Barnes, the next it could be Draymond Green, and that's two players they're similar sort of in terms of size and height, but the way they approach the game, their movements, their strength and their weight is so different that it takes someone really sort of versatile to be able to take on the challenge of moving from one to the other. And Mohart has lived up to that about as well as anyone can. He did pick up a lot of fouls. That's the one thing I would say in that series. But I think that's somewhat to be expected. I mean, the Blazers found a way to hang with the Warriors, even if that was without Curry for large parts, about as well as anyone, and even in the regular season. And Hartless sort of factored in as part of that plan. He would be a really nice addition. Would just give a lot of different options. That would be a big move towards finding some depth on the bench, whether it's the three, whether it's the four. All of a sudden, Jabari and Yanis could have a little bit more rest if Mo Harkless was there. Moving on. Jordan actually suggested to include this person. And I was, I gotta say, decent enough that I was excluding him from my own list. But I'm a really big fan. I think he's underrated and there's something that's still untapped here. Something that about every team in the league, because he's been everywhere, hasn't yet seen. <laughs> we are talking about Alonzo G. I want to hear your thoughts, first of all, because... You did mention him as a guy, okay, maybe not very exciting, but he is a player who's worthy of making a list such as this one. That's probably an indictment of the free agent small forward class beyond the guys who are going to be paid mega money. But what about Alonso G could make him a fit for the books? Um, again, they need a lot of depth. Uh, Lonzo G is probably at this point a depth piece for sure. Um, I don't know. I, he's yeah, he has bounced. I mean, he's been on six teams in what? It's this is his like seventh season or was sixth, it seventh season? Sixth season. Yeah, that's a little troubling. <laughs> Um, but I, see, I don't feel like even he's been bounced around as much as he is the guy when you need to make a trade happen. His salary has been the convenient one where it's just like, okay, we need to throw something in to make salary match. And yeah. not being paid a whole lot of money, he's happened to be that guy for a lot of teams. And he's sort of been the ultimate facilitator for deals. People thought Hinky was out there facilitating deals in the NBA. It was really Alonzo G all along. Yes. Um, I don't know. He He's going to be cheap, quite honestly. And if he, you could get something out of him, whether that is just defensively, I think that's probably his biggest. I mean, uh, he's he's, a, he's an underrated athlete as well. I mean... Oh, yeah. I, I was just saying, yeah. He's really explosive. He can go. He can finish around the rim. He can shoot the tree. I mean, he's not your most efficient. If you look down his career, sort of triple shooting numbers, they've fallen off recently. And part of that is probably a product of being bounced around. You feel like if he was in the same surroundings for any length of time, 
if you had some sort of meaningful regular role you might see a little bit more out of that like for me and this is where we're at with the books it's like is he better than damian inglis yes it's not even a question he's an actual depth piece it's like if he's in the second unit or even if he's not if he's like your third string it doesn't matter he comes in and he can actually play he can compete he's something real um they just need more of that, and even with the rising cap, Alonso G probably isn't making more than three million this summer, if even. It's I, I was tickled by you keep saying real like Damian Inglis is like a ghost. A ghost I, is generous. A ghost implies he was real. <laughs> um, That's true. Dude, I have a feeling. And this is genuinely, this isn't influenced by my feelings towards him. But I do have a feeling the books might not necessarily keep him around through the summer. Obviously, that's dependent on how everything else goes. I mean, if they, they'd have to actually attract some people to sign in free agency or make some trades that they wanted to make or maybe use all three of their draft picks or whatever. But I do think there's... There's a lot of scenarios. I I think most fans would lean towards if one of two people wasn't going to be retained this summer. They'd lean towards Johnny O'Brien, but I don't think that's accurate. I think Johnny O'Brien has a much better chance of sticking around than Inglis. Say what you want about Johnny O'Brien, but he has actually contributed and shown things on the court in his time with the books. He's now a world beater. We definitely know that. But he has done things. He can be a rotation player at the very, very back of your rotation. He's a great three-point shooter. One for one. That I love. I don't know if if you saw when... Um, who was it? Was it, it was Mark Lassery. I don't oh. know. We're on a different thing here. But yeah. when Mark Lesbian and Jamie Danan did their um, Twitter Q&A, someone asked them, when is Johnny O'Brien, it wasn't Ty either, when is Johnny O'Brien <laughs> going to start taking more three-pointers? He's 100% from three. Is it going to happen? And their response was, I think it should, maybe next season. It's like, can you get a more re-endorsement than that? Boom. <laughs> I found that quite amusing that the owners did a Q&A and they were asked with Johnny O'Brien's three-point shooting. I, don't, I honestly don't know what that says. I, they were also asked if, if they wanted to bring back Steve Novak too. Everyone gets that. I wish people would stop asking that because then maybe they wouldn't bring him back. The more people who ask it, the more they're going to think everyone wants him back. Yeah. I could, I, I, I could go on a spiel, but I'll save it for next week. For, uh, when we get to a, a person that will address with the draft. But that is my warning. <laughs> Some <laughs> slightly troubling foreshadowing from Jordan. <laughs> a lot of people are going to that court field, I'll just tell you right now. Okay. <laughs> is the cornfield in. Wisconsin or Illinois? Oh. 
Moving on, moving on. Alonso G is, <laughs> is not the worst option. He's for someone who's gonna be cheap. I'd rather see the roster filled up with guys like that than Chris Copeland-esque characters. Um the last free agent we're gonna talk about this week. Wes Johnson. I'm gonna say he was uh was he a third overall pick? Fourth. Like he was he was top five anyway. He was definitely a really high pick. David Kahn, uh, fourth pick, yeah. He is. It should be a Syracuse, I should say. Yeah, another Syracuse player. Books seem to like them. Um, solid, not spectacular, three-point shooter. Good size and length. Um, he can be a a good option defensively. He was. He was pretty good with the Lakers, and then I feel like Doc trusted him quite a lot when he was with the Clippers. He played over 20 minutes a game. I don't know. It's just a lot to sort of unpack in terms of what the Clippers roster looked like, but I do feel like there were long periods of time where Wes Johnson was an option that Doc Rivers felt more comfortable with than many other guys. Yeah. What are we looking at as a sort of price range for him? And what is the biggest thing that you'd feel like he brings that would make him worth considering? Ooh, price range. I feel like a player like him, he's an older player. I mean, he was fourth pick of the 2010 draft, but he's, he's 28. Like 28. So he's kind of – I would think he's looking for more of a long-term thing more than a money thing. That is just me. I'm not a Wes Johnson insider. But uh, I would say I would go maybe $6 million over three years. $6 million. That feels like a lot. It's uh, – yeah. But his, his current deal – uh, it was 1.1 million. Before that, oh, before that yeah. with the Lakers, he was <laughs> 900,000 and 981,000. Oh yeah, he that's a big raise. Holy. Like, so I, I think four years, 12 million feels more like his price range. I didn't know he made that little. Yeah, I would now I would decrease that offer a lot. <laughs> That's Don't let Jordan insane. in the negotiating room. Yeah, I'm not a good negotiator. Um, man, that's what? That's odd. Anyway, um, as far as fit was, I I like if again everything's in theory, but he is a very versatile defender. He might not be the greatest defender, but he can fit in multiple ways. Um, Three-point shooter, he's not a great three-point shooter, but from a role player's perspective, or a, I guess a eighth or ninth man off the bench, if you have a guy that can shoot 35% from three-point line, it's not that bad. Um, and I don't know. I just – I think I – don't, I don't know. He, 
he makes sense for what the Bucks need. I mean, anything the Bucks really need from a three. Um, he he's not the greatest option. There are certainly better options for free wise that we've already discussed. But again, he's probably the biggest appeal for him is his price. Uh, and I don't know. I, I just see that he could fit in that kind of way. And he's you just, again, you need someone behind Giannis, Milton, Jabari, who's ever played the third kind of thing. And he's not a bad option to have. There's something about all of these guys. They all feel too solid. Like to be Buck's bench players. It's not the Buck's style to have a bench that's this sort of solid and deep. Yeah, like imagine yeah. imagine the scenario where they sign like Alonzo G, Wes Johnson. They're not very exciting, but they're parts that can sort of become an actual bench. It just feels unbooked like. It certainly does. Um, but not to make you all too miserable, those of you listening. As if the names that we've been talking about for the last three weeks haven't done that already. <laughs> Yeah. We'll move on for free agency. We've got some trade targets. Once again, don't get excited. These are these are trade targets of the Adam and Jordan variety. Um so Blockbuster doesn't really factor into this. Let's run through these quick. First off, this is a Jordan suggestion. I I wouldn't be suggesting this for good reason. Tabo Cephalosha. Cephalosha, another sort of, I say, notable 3 and D player. One of the league's better known 3 and D specialists without being anything sort of groundbreaking beyond that. He has carved a very good career out for himself from that particular skill set. Um, to my knowledge, from my memory, he has one year remaining next year on his contract at $4 million, I think. Um, what I would jump straight in with here from the Hawks' perspective is I don't think they trade him because $4 million no. is super cheap. And also, chances are Kent Bazemore might be playing elsewhere. So they're probably going to need that depth. But, hypothetically, what do you like about Cephalosha as a book? I like it defensively. Um, I would I would say, based on his three-point percentage in the last couple of years, he's more of a two-and-a-half MD <laughs> specialist. Uh, <laughs> but, again, you just need a guy that can, who's a versatile defender. Cephalosha is – I mean – it, it kind of it's unfortunate that he had his injury that wasn't um, his fault last year because he was playing very solid for the Hawks and sure they might not have been a favor against the Cavs last year but he was a really solid uh, player for them um, again and the, the other thing too like oh it would be cheap for the Bucks to get him but it, it also benefits the Hawks they. He's under their control. 
uh, financially. <laughs> that sounded very, <laughs> very evil, like like a superhero. Is <laughs> under his, their control? Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, that just derailed my whole analysis about Thomas Cephalogia. But I don't know. I've always liked him as a solid wing defender who can occasionally hit the three-point uh, shot, but more often than not, he misses. What I like about Cephalosha and what I'd say about him is he, he's a closer, and I mean that defensively. He's the sort of guy that the books don't really have where it's a close game, final five minutes, no matter who you're playing, you can put this guy out there and he'll lock down someone. And whether that's LeBron or whoever it is, I mean, he'll be up to that sort of challenge. He's a little bit older now. He's not necessarily going to get the better of it, but he's not going to make it easy for anyone. And that's a nice thing to have if you can find it. So he is the sort of guy who, in the game situations, even just to have that in your arsenal, it could pick up an extra two, three, four wins. Um, books weren't great in close game situations. I mean, they got a few wins this year, but they weren't spectacularly good so someone like that where they can just sort of shift the odds in your favor a little bit you can feel a little bit more confident about keeping things tight and turning the game to offensive execution rather than worrying about stopping the opposition that's a positive if you can find it he definitely feel that need i just don't know why the hawks would trade him considering their own outlook and then big question with any of these trade scenarios and of any position is what do the books actually have to trade that's always a big part of this problem for cephalosha they'd probably have to give up a first overall or not first overall first round pick not this year but some sort of future first round pick and that brings a real flashback into proceedings if they were to give up a first round pick for a guy on an expiring contract so huh. That's not. Sounds, I don't know what you're talking about. I may or may not buy a Tabo Cephalosha jersey if that happens. That's all I'll say. Cool breeze. <laughs> cool breeze. That's that's a jersey <laughs> worth getting. Next up, Tony Snell. Player who I want to say fell a little out of favor in Chicago, and potentially. Maybe they'd give him up quite cheap. I wonder, say, is Tony Snell a guy that on draft night you could contact the bo- the Bulls and say, we'll give you the 38 pick for Tony Snell? Absolutely. Uh, I think that's – I think that he falls – there's, I can't really name any more players that would fit better than Tony Snell in that, honestly. But what I'm saying is, do the Bulls consider that? Or are we out of place? I think, no, I, I think they would. I think that could be a win win for both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. That, like you said, it's a weird situation. He, he wasn't that good last year. Um, uh, statistically, he was still a very solid three point shooter. But I don't know. It feels like anything that happened with the Bulls. <laughs> Last year has to be kind of taken with a grain of salt because it was such a weird year and not all the pieces fit. Um, 
with what they were trying to run with Hoiberg, with Hoiberg now there. So I don't know. I, I, I think, again, he is going to be a restricted free agent. I think it's next summer already. That sounds right. I mean, would, would he be up for extension this? Couldn't, they, couldn't you take an option, Will, this summer then? Oh yeah, he. I mean, his he has a contract, but he will be a restricted. Okay, no. Okay, so next year is his. No, okay, I'm wrong. So next year is his fourth year. So the option was exercised for. They they exercised the option back in October for next year. So yeah, you're right. After next year, he'd be a restricted free agent. I mean, you can live with that. Right now, he's not going to be getting paid a whole lot, and if he gets to a point where. He's going to be too expensive. Well, that means he's had a really good season. So you sort of roll with the punches and that one, you take your chances. It sort of fascinates me the way the Bulls haven't used him more when you consider how often and for how long they've played Mike Dunleavy. That's, yeah. that, that has to be one of the more bizarre things in the league and that they actually got away with that and were a good team while doing that for quite a long period of time. I mean, books Mike Dunleavy was on the wrong end of things. For all these years later that he was able to contribute to a playoff team, one of the stranger things in the NBA in recent years. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, just, it's funny to me. Mike, you're taking your anger out on my I'm not taking my anger, but I'm like, if you stop and think about it, try to find the guy this year who was in the playoffs starting, say, who was as bizarre as Mike Dunleavy starting at the Bulls for so long. I I don't think a guy exists. It was one of the strangest things. I don't feel like anyone questioned it. They got away with it for a long time. Louis Scola? I feel Dunleavy is much weirder than that. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it is weird. It, I, yeah, it's any, again, anything with Chicago in the last, like, 12 to 14 months is super weird. Actually, no, even before that. What I, I thought you were going to say 12 to 14 years. I thought you were basically well, yeah, ever since Michael ever Jordan. Ever since the Jordan days, sort of. Finished up. Things have been weird. Vinny Del Negro's fighting with John Paxson. Just weird stuff. I, I like Snell quite a lot. I'd make that call. Um, if you don't want two rookies, get a guy who has played on good defensive teams. He was. The, the guy Tibbs turned to quite a bit as part of his rotation when the Bulls were good. Um. He needs to prove something too, like we said last year at his rookie contract. Yeah, and I mean the Bulls the Bulls might just be at this point saying, Well, we're not too confident and we don't feel like something big's gonna come. We he's not gonna be someone we're gonna be looking to keep next summer. So why not take a second round pick and start fresh? I, I just like think it. of all Let's the the puns that you could make with Tony Snell, like you know, I don't know. well. Well, give give me one to get started, John. Uh, what's that snell? Like after a three point <laughs> shot? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now we really have to make the deal happen for what the snell? 
Absolutely. Hashtag, yeah. hashtag, what's that snail? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have anything to add, with, add to that one, Jordan. Yeah. Sort of. Maybe... Jordan has left me lost for words. How that came out of his mouth and the, the best thing he had ready was what's that snail? Puzzles me. But um, <laughs> second round pick for Tony Snell, please. And uh, this one, I'm not gonna have a lot to say on this. This was a Jordan choice that he's gonna have to justify. <laughs> you, you make make him sound like these are so crazy. This is another Jordan choice. But this this is James Ennis. Yeah. I mean, if we haven't been boring people with our lists up to now, I mean, James Ennis might be. We may just have taken this a bridge too far. But I that's I'm fine. Because it takes a lot of bridges to get to where you have to go. Okay. Yeah. And that's James Ennis is where we've got to go. James Ennis Bridge. Um, I just found this curious. I'm, I'm on his basketball reference page. Uh, I oh, my God. Like this, oh, my God. I see it. I feel, like, I feel like this is wrong. But basketball reference lists his full name as James Ennis Ennis. That has to be wrong. <laughs> I, I, that happens. That's a, that's a thing that happens. I mean, there are, there's lots of, now, who's, there's some NBA player whose father has the same name twice. Damn, who is it? Father? Yeah. It's like, it, we just, Wait, what? Is it Gerald Henderson? Is that what you're talking no, about? No, no, no. There's someone whose name, if it was Gerald Henderson, for example, I'm talking about like Henderson Henderson. There's an NBA player who, I can't remember who it was. Well, there was a there was a Wisconsin player, a Wisconsin men's basketball player named Dwayne Dwayne. That is super weird because yeah. that's not exactly, it's not exactly the most common name. No, it's not. Like, a, I don't say, for example, your name. name. There could be a Jordan Jordan. They would be Jordan, two, Jordan. They would be two names that are not necessarily the most uncommon. So Tom Thomas. Well, you've got to if that's you've got to call him Thomas Thomas in that scenario. <laughs> what if his name was Thomas Tom? <laughs> so then you call him Tom Tom and. and I don't oh. know, there, there might be legal action taken. Someone's, someone's playing drums. <laughs> um, aside from James Ennis' name, Jordan. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's not talk about his uh, name anymore. Um, I find him intriguing. Uh, he's a very good or solid scorer, and he's a very good shooter. He's... He's only played 84 games in two years, but he's uh, a 37% uh, three-point shooter. Um, and he's, I don't know, he just seems like a solid wing, scoring wing that uh, you could put out there. I don't know. He's been on a lot. I don't, I don't buy into that because they call him a scoring wing. I think the biggest part of that comes in his time with the Pelicans. Oh, uh, yeah. Like nine games, they literally had no one else. So he did. Yeah. He he averaged fifteen point nine points, shot forty eight percent from three. I mean, the three point shooting isn't 
you've got to buy into that a little bit, but. Well, I'll just admit, I just want a guy that's middle name is Ennis, or his name is James Ennis. And so you you want do you want like a. You want the lineup out on the floor where we've got Tyler Ennis, then we've got James Ennis Ennis. So yeah. mass confusion. I mean, that could be a question for draft interviews for teams. What's your middle name? Well, I was more thinking you've got three Ennis on the floor. <laughs> yet, there are, yet there are spots for three other players. <laughs> How? And How is that possible? Are you a, and are you a winning team? Yes or no? Um, are you the team of Jordan's dreams? I think the Tyler Ennis, James Ennis, Ennis lineup is right up Jordan Street. We can ask Tyler Ennis's brother to play. <laughs> does Tyler Ennis have a brother? Yes, he does. Believe is, is he a basketball player? He is a basketball player. I want to say his name's Dylan. Dylan Ennis. <laughs> I couldn't finish that without laughing. <laughs> I'm googling now just in case his name is Dylan Ennis. Oh, oh Dylan Ennis Ennis is he's seeking a sixth year of eligibility in college. Oh, whoa. Um, yeah, I've no idea how that went. Um, not to get lost in the Dylan Ennis rabbit hole. No. You've all been there. I've got one last name. I, I should have had two, but I'm going to cut one for my own sake. Um, the last name I'm going to give is one Reggie Bullock, former Los Angeles Clipper, current Detroit Piston. Former son, too. Yeah, that's right. Basically, he's a three-point shooter. He can shoot a little bit. Um, he's a good athlete. He's not necessarily like pretty much everyone on this list. He's not going to set people's pulses racing, but for a team who had not a lot to come off the bench, he could really add something. This year, for example, in Detroit, he shot 41.5% from deep. I do think he's got potential to be a good defender too um, he's got decent size, you could probably play him a little bit at 2 if you wanted to either I quite like him, I just feel like there is something there, we're starting to see it in Detroit there are probably deals you could swing though for positions they need more, or you could do something to get him, but I quite like him Do you want to do you want to know Reggie Bullock's full name? I I already saw, but you can say it. It's worth saying for everyone. Oh yeah, for everyone at home to hear. It's Reginald Rydell Bullock. Like Rydell, like the it's not spelled like the helmets that you'd wear in pee wee football, but it's it's like it's like rye, rye, catcher of the rye, rye bread, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. And there, oh, here we go. There's another there's a nickname. There's another nickname. Never mind Reggie Bullock. <laughs> For those Sex Pistols fans out there. 
I don't know if Sex Pistols fans will appreciate Nevermind Reggie Bullock. I don't know. It doesn't even sound very flattery for Reggie Bullock either. No, it doesn't. Do it. You're, not, you're not boosting my case to trade for Reggie Bullock. Um, that's, a, that's a trade list. How exciting was that? <laughs> That's where Adam, there should be like a bunch of fireworks randomly. I could do that. Um, <laughs> we had awards music. Don't put it past me. Oh, that's right. I will say there was one other player I was going to include. I'm going to say the name because oh. Trevor Ariza. <laughs> last time I tried to sell people on what made perfect sense with Trevor Ariza, $8 million Trevor Ariza. You know how I feel about $8 million. Everyone lost their minds. Yeah, the OJ Mayo money. Yeah. Everyone lost their minds. And then, in the time since, it shifted to, yeah, you know, the books need a bench. No, <laughs> books need a bench. Trevor Reed could help with that. Moving on. It's time for the mad bike. First question comes from at. I didn't actually transcribe the handle, so I'm gonna probably get it wrong. Have I forgotten? I'm gonna guess at Alex underscore Koenig zero two three. That's right, isn't it? I think. I think of the underscore in the right place. Yeah, at yeah. Alex underscore Koenig zero two three. Did the Bucks ever replace David Morway in the assistant GM position? Is that what the candidates are interviewing for? Thank you for asking this, because we need to talk books front office. There's some stuff going on. Talk about a turnstile. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's a turnstile yet. Um, this it's may turn. be this may be the beginnings <laughs> of the turnstile. <laughs> for those of you living under a rock or not really all that bothered by front office politics stuff. Um, Mark Stein of ESPN reported on Sunday night that the books were looking at some candidates for front office positions. It wasn't really specified, but the obvious assumption is that they're looking for assistant GMs and um, To answer the question, no, David Morway was the assistant GM. He was the, the main decision not to retain him. I think it was back in September. And moving on from that, they did never replace assistant GM. That never really bothered me because I assumed the reason for that was that Jason Kidd was so involved in the front office that they didn't need one. Between him and Hammond, they had both positions covered. The best um, of both worlds. Mm, that's one way of putting it. Um, so it was a little bit surprising to see that they were looking at guys. The two names mentioned by Stein, and it's worth emphasizing because I don't think there's been a lot of talk about this. These are just two of the possible candidates who are going to be interviewed. Two guys mentioned were Justin Zanuck and Rod Higgins. 
Justin Zanuck is a former agent, currently the assistant GM with the Utah Jazz. And Rod Higgins was former general manager for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, former president of basketball operations after that for the Hornets too. I want to say he was in the Wizards front office as well. Been around, former player as well. Close friend of one Michael Jordan. How are you digesting all of this stuff, Jordan? What do you feel about, about these... The prospect of them adding an assistant GM. Obviously, they're looking for something a little bit different. The one thing that troubles me a little bit is that these two guys are so different. I would have felt better if there was a specific sort of need. If they were, like Cezanne, if they're looking for a guy who has experience in the sort of agent side of the game, so he knows contract stuff, um, just knows that side of basketball inside out, or if they were looking at a list of real sort of analytics-driven people, you'd go, okay, they want to add an analytics mind. There's such a disparity between who Justin Zanuck seems to be and who Rod Higgins seems to be, though, that it's sort of like, what are they looking to achieve here? Yes, yes, that's that's a very. I don't. That part of that's one of many things that kind of. They're just looking for help, basically, is what it's coming yeah. across as. They're not actually sure what it is they're looking for help with, but they're looking for help in the front office sense. Yes. Um, and I think probably the biggest takeaway of all this, again, this is just reporting the interviews. This is not a final thing. They might not even take an assistant GM. Um, that might not be the right move, but anyway, that's, we have to say that to preface all this. But it just sounds like to me that they're doing something that they, that they should have done last year. Um, and I, I can't fault them for that, honestly. Um, uh, I mean, if they completely ignored it, then it would have been more worrisome. But the fact that they are showing being diligent, this is kind of a hectic time of the year with draft stuff, all this contracts or the offseason coming up with a – you know, free agency, all this stuff. The fact that they're doing this now is a little comforting, but again, this should have been done after Morey left. And the whole Morey departure was kind of odd that it didn't really get a lot of buzz, I would say. It was just kind of like, oh, he's, oh, he's leaving. Um, he obviously went to the Kings and then has recently left them because of, I guess, obvious reasons. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic, but that could very, that could change depending on who I like or who gets hired. Cause I clearly like Zanuck more than Higgins personally. I think the thing with Higgins is why fire or didn't fire, but why not retain David Morway? If you're going to bring in Rod Higgins, because it's from they're from the same mold as in their experienced executives. Morway was, I want to say, the Pacers GM prior to coming to the books. Yep. And if I remember this correctly, he also had experience in front office in the MLB. 
I want to say, oh, I can't remember what franchise now, but I, I think he was previously a baseball executive and then made the change over to basketball. Regardless. He was the assistant general manager with the San Diego Padres. There you go. So regardless, there, I mean, if you're moving on from a guy who was a GM, sort of long history of being in a front office, why do you go and replace him with another guy cut from the same sort of cloth? It doesn't make sense. Zanucki is at least something different. You can see the very clear defined benefits or ways that he could help the team out. And it sort of, it's not just sort of a singular way. Influence of agents in the game is colossal and he's going to have closer ties to a lot of them than most. To have, to have an insider like that is something worth having, but it means he knows exactly what, you're going into free agent pitches he can tell you what's being said on the other side he should have a better idea of how to read that situation gauge what everyone's looking for how to make a deal happen regardless and sort of irrespective of the candidates i'm not i'm not that interested in the candidates right now the candidates will matter more to me when they decide who they want because i can i can understand zanik higgins and i really don't quite get that idea but there are other candidates who we haven't heard the names of and i don't none of that matters to me as much right now as the fact that they're looking at it that's what's really interesting to me and it's the why is the part that matters it makes sense to have a search for an assistant gm they should have had one to begin with but the fact that they're looking for one is very reactionary there's no other way to put it there was obviously a period of time where they felt we don't necessarily need one. And it makes me ask, what do they feel has gone wrong in the time since to flip that script and be like, okay, we, we're coming into a busy time. We really need an assistant GM. There's been all sorts of rumors around the book's front office that's been very widely publicized. We've talked about it an awful lot. But say if things went down as badly at the trade deadline as many people I think most notably Adrian Mozarowski has, has reported is this the sort of move where they go okay we need another voice we need someone more experienced we need to change the way our decisions are being made or is it related to they're not quite as sold on Hammond he's got one year remaining they feel he could still go to New Orleans if things are going that way. There's a lot of different factors in play of why they might be doing it, but they're all very reactionary for me. I don't see for in such a short space of time for them to have stepped away from Norway and not to have looked to replace him. There wasn't even word at the time that they'd look to do anything with that. And the elephant in the room here, who is probably the smallest elephant in the world because he doesn't get talked about very often, but it's Rod Torn because... Rod Torn was announced as a special consultant about a week after Morway wasn't retained, I want to say. It was right in around that time. So it would have been a logical jump to go, okay, well, obviously he's influencing things. Well, then what happens if, say, Higgins is hired? So you've got this, let's make a decision about the draft. So you sit down, you have Rod Torn, a legendary GM who's got so much experience in all capacities, really, in the league. 
you have John Hammond, long-term successful GM, in spite of what some people seem to think. Uh, but successful, sort of very effective general manager. Then you add Rod Higgins into the mix, who's been a general manager and a president of basketball operations, the chief decision maker for a long time. And then you have Jason Kidd, the head coach, sort of icon as a player who is clearly very opinionated when it comes to personnel matters. How do all four of those people get on the same page or where, where does that sort of fall? And we have no real clarification on what Torn does, if he does anything, if he really is still part of the franchise, what that move was about. To me, there's just there's a lot of questions there. I don't take any negatives from it. There's no reason to jump to say this is a bad move. It's not. There's no bad move yet. It's just more the how did we end up at this point that really interests me. I there's a lot of things that haven't been done right or have gone wrong to get to the point where they've had to revisit this now. And that doesn't make this a bad decision, but it likely means some bad decisions have been made along the road. And the books have been pretty open and transparent in that, that they made mistakes last summer. They probably made some mistakes in maybe not dealing or deals they looked at as a trade deadline too. In that sort of landscape, how do you feel this fits in? Like it's not a... It's not a natural jump, is it? To, it? It seems like the way Alex's question was worded to us, is this just replacing David Morway? Technically it is, but it isn't really because they obviously felt they could go without replacing him. They didn't need that sort of guy. So something has gone wrong for them to revisit that role, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean... The whole front office, we've talked about this a couple of times. Um, it's just, it's odd that they would like to keep this kind of, I'm all, I'm, I'm, if they're, they're, you don't have to be 100% transparent with how front office works. That's not, I don't, I don't care about that. But the fact that there's this kind of gray area, and I think you even said it yesterday when this, the news broke, I mean, like, they never really said anything about if Thor is even with a team or if he's, I mean, he, there was a while where he showed up to games and all that stuff, but like, well, as you said, he was, he was pictured. You said this to me privately. You, he was pictured at the combine. Like he was, he was quite a visible figure at the combine, which isn't surprising considering he was, um, was the head of basketball was, operations for the NBA. I believe also he was vice president too. Okay, so, like, I mean, he's a big NBA figure, so that's sort of to be expected. But that's not his job anymore. He's a special consultant to the books. He stepped down from that role. So, well, he was technically retired before the Bucks. Yeah, that's, that's true. He was retired, but then he was there, and we have the word that uh, Jamie Denham was there for a day, and he sat in on some interviews. We know Kid and Hammond were there. So, if Rod Thorn was also there, was he in on interviews? I mean, where where are the photos or the footage of Kid Hammond and Torn together? Because it's the Pruder film. You know what I mean? If he's if he's on payroll, he's incredibly knowledgeable. How could you not be after all that time in the league? So much experience. Would you not look to involve him in the process too? It's just it would be nice to know a little bit more about that. I don't know. I can't even remember hearing Rod Torn talk on the team aside from when 
the announcement was made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's just gray, like gray area that is very frustrating to as a fan because you just you see how organizations work. There's been, there's plenty, like hundreds of thousands of people behind the scenes of teams that don't get talked about. Um, but we've seen when there's a clear, not pecking order, but there, there's a clear chain of power, I guess. That's, um, that's how great organizations work. And when there's this kind of revolving door turnstile, I guess, to bring it back up, I'm just like a bunch of, they're clearly knowledgeable people and, and they should be doing this, their job, they've done their jobs well, but when there's so many voices that you don't even know who's in the room or who's not in the room anymore, that gets kind of concerning. And the fact that we kind of, whatever someone talks about this or on Twitter or something, it's not really, it, it, they shoo it away. They say, oh, everything's completely fine. We have the pieces that we want in place. And then that's the end of it. You know, it's just, a weird, I don't know, it's a weird situation that, and again, I think it's it kind of, it's driven from the fact that Kid has this so-called power play with Brooklyn and everybody thinks that he wants to be the GM. Well, I mean, he clearly does because he, he left, clearly does, but it's he also, left Brooklyn for that reason. There was yeah. no, there was no other reason. Like I mean, things were going well there otherwise, except he felt like the front office should have been his. So then, it's a logical assumption when he walks out of there and within like within a few days, basically straight from one to the other, wasn't it? Yeah, but I will say this too: we saw this a couple of weeks ago with Dave Yeager talking to other teams. I don't. We've given a lot of criticism to Jason Kidd, but he is, he knows a good basketball situation. Uh, well, I'd like to think that he knows a good oh, basketball I've, situation. Look, I've of all the things, I, Jason Kidd will do his best to put himself in the position that's best for him. Exactly. I, I think that's something that there's very little debate over. No matter what, he's going to look to do what's best for him. And the books have been what's best for him. It's a good basketball situation, room to grow, room for him to learn and develop as a coach. So I, th I think he succeeded in that sense of finding a spot where that's an option. And it's not hypothetical, like the kid involvement in the front office, because just to remind everyone, this is the coach who in exit interviews was asked, what are you going to do this summer to focus on getting better? And his answer was, well, hopefully... I can help land a free agent. Yep. And I, it was said in a way, maybe not even as a bit more direct than I've just put it there. Um, it was, he sort of put that down as his responsibility. Like it, the, the problem isn't, and this is something you see on Twitter quite a lot is it's like a reflex for people who just don't want to have the conversation is, Oh, well, everyone talks about kid making the decisions and, not Hammond. That part doesn't, I don't, I don't really care about that. It's the lack of demarcation, though. Yes. It's If, if Kid is making the decisions, or if him and Hammond are like on equal footing with that, that's fine, but just sort of let that be known. We don't have to know how 
the process of every single decision is that's not anyone's business bar the team themselves but some sort of idea of the process is important like having multiple voices is very common as you said no organization is making decisions based on like just a general manager and then the owners sort of agree and that's it done it doesn't work like that there's tons of voices but in most other organizations there's maybe a more clearly defined ranking yep. that those voices can fall under and a way that maybe becomes even more important with the books and we heard rumors of this when Samini Kid was an advocate for trades that weren't so popular with the owners and there's been rumors that's caused some friction this isn't what the books had before with Herb Cole where when the owner had the final say it was still going to one man and he could have the final say whether that was for good or bad this is an ownership group this is three owners so if you have this decision making process which let's say Rod Thorne is a factor and this is where it sort of gets pretty farcical pretty quickly where you might have Hammond, Kid, Rod Thorne and now an assistant GM getting together to make a decision and they make their decision and then it goes upstairs to the owners and you've got three guys who then have to try and come out on the same page you're not going to get anything done or you're not going to have decisions that are popular all around it'll create an ill feeling and I'm not sure if it's ideal for getting everyone sort of rowing in the same direction it's yeah. it's a tough it's a tough thing to do that there is that's something which probably doesn't get talked about doesn't get thought of but owners always have the final say it's up to them how much they want to involve themselves and it's rare to get three people to agree on anything so when you're gonna have that in the mix and then below them there's no sort of clear-cut way that decisions are being made it's just where it gets to feel really messy could the books do with another informed voice in the front office? I think yes. I don't think it's essential, but it shouldn't really hurt them. But say, for example, it is Rod Higgins, because this is the one that scares me, I guess, because he's someone who's had real, I, I guess, the ultimate power in, in a front office sense before. If he comes in and he's the assistant GM, he's used to making the decisions, and you've got Hammond, who is the general manager, trying to make decisions, and you've got Kid from below that who wants to make the decisions. That's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. There's no way that works out well. So it's great that they're looking at guys. It's the fact that they've decided to take that route again that interests me the most. We'll never know. This is something that's become clear. These are the sort of things we don't really hear about we won't know what's led to this point where they've reconsidered that route it's what interests me the most i just hope if they do bring someone in first of all and you just make the assumption that they would assume they would do everything to make sure it was the right person but that then the roles are clearly defined it's like you wouldn't send the team out on the floor without giving them positions you know what i mean you know just gotta pick five guys and go you guys go out and play now it doesn't work that way on the court, so why you should have worked that way in the front office. Moving on. Once again, from Alex underscore Koenig, 023. Doesn't Greg Monroe still have a good amount of value in the league? What he did to the Warriors, that has value, right? I'll say that 
it's probably pretty telling that Alex decided to word this question starting with doesn't instead of does. Um, might be a little, little something in the subconscious there. The way the way I look at this is value in the NBA is pretty fickle. Could change in a heartbeat, as Jordan said. Guys can get themselves a big contract based off of two months of good play. Greg Monroe is not coming off of that, but more importantly, his contract isn't long term. If he was locked in for four years now, at fifteen million with the cap rising, you probably would find teams who'd say he's very valuable. But with the option to opt out in a year, I really struggle to see the value. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, financials aside, um, I've been wanting to say this about him now, now that we're in the offseason. <laughs> this, this feels Just, big. This feels like off the fence Jordan again. Can you – it's a question that I want the Bucks to ask themselves this summer if they're potentially thinking about trading Monroe. We know that they want to be a playoff team. That they have explicitly said that they want to make the playoffs next year. I think they can. Can Greg Monroe be on a playoff team? We have not seen it. I, I think the better way of putting that is, can you win a series in today's NBA with Greg Monroe as your center? There's not a lot of evidence to suggest that is possible i could i think we i think we mentioned this before and this is i i wrote about this guy recently enough for for fan sided and the only guy i can sort of put together that exists in the nba today with a skill set reminiscent of greg monroe is al jefferson and to be honest greg monroe doesn't have anywhere near the offensive polish or the range of skill. I mean, Al Jefferson's footwork is incredibly underrated. He has such a wide variety of post moves. He is really a superior version of Greg Monroe, but all in all, they're the same mold of player. And unfortunately for them, that player is very outdated in today's NBA. I mean, put any number of teams up against say the books and this is even with everyone else clicking but when you get to a playoff series where individual matchups can bring a whole series toppling down on its head it's like look at teams who are in the playoffs this year in the east even forget about the warriors and all that they wouldn't have to worry too much about that i feel if greg monroe was the starting center but let's say let's say this year the books just creeped their way into the playoffs they were the eighth seed and they played the Cavs. I got a very close up look at what the Cavs did to my Hawks for the second year <laughs> in a row. But when they went small, and when Kevin Love is like making stupid, I'm, I shouldn't have brought this up because I'm going to get annoyed, but stupid amounts of trees for no good reason. How is Greg Monroe going to stop that? How is, like, that's just, I, I don't think it's feasible. 
I really don't. I don't see like it's fine to say he he's a skilled player and he is. He's very good at a couple of things. It's just I don't know who wants those things in the NBA anymore because what is it about them that makes you win? Yeah. What what I, team I, is there in the NBA playoffs total? So if we go 16 teams, both conferences, what team is there who has been really successful in playing in a way that Greg Monroe's style could fit into? Because even though I mentioned Al Jefferson, the Hornets themselves explored a whole lot of things as in going with, say, Cody Zeller as the center. Yeah, Jefferson's coming out the bench for some it, of the they sort of They mix it up a little bit, but... Yeah. I would think maybe the closest to a good example was, well, before he got hurt, would be Valachunas for the Raptors. But, I I mean, he's a more efficient player than Monroe, even though there's a different disparity between shot attempts. Valachunas, though, even, you're right, that's why I didn't think of, a little bit closer, but he still has a little bit of range in terms of shooting. Yeah, he isn't a good defender really, but he does influence the game more positively on that end than Monroe does. And he's he's just the, the thing about Monroe is that he he's a good low post guy, but a lot of his as we saw this year, a lot of his points come off of tippins. He misses the first shot and then gets the board, puts it back up. Maybe that doesn't go in, then he'll get the board and then put it back up again. You know, he's he's a solid offensive player, but it's a little kind of, I don't know, I feel like it's a little misleading uh, just how he is. When he when he's just himself, there are stretches where he, he can play as good as a big man as you want him to be. But that just doesn't happen that often. Unfortunately. I linked you to this yesterday, but basketball references player of the day yesterday was Greg Monroe on Sunday. Um the tweet where they announced this read with two hundred and seventy seven made layups, today's player of the day is Greg Monroe. <laughs> and I, I said this to you and I said it to Ty, and Ty's response was he has so many layups because he can't dunk. And <laughs> there's probably a, tragically a little bit of truth in that. Um, but it's also because he can't step back and make a jumper. It's like that's his whole offensive game, and he might have different ways where he could do that, but he has no other option. If he wants to be effective, he needs to get layups. So... I found that interesting. I don't know if that's a stat you really want. The layup might be an efficient shot. But hey, man, he was, he was their player of the day. So I mean. Yeah. Player of the day on like a random Sunday in May, um, which there's not a lot to be said for. Congratulations, Booms. <laughs> that, uh, that is maybe the only award a book has won this season. Somewhat tragic. Uh, did he add us win player of the week? Did I mean, he that's... get a player of the week? I hope so. I mean, that's less depressing than 
the only books award of the season being a player of the day for Greg Monroe making 277 layups and 469 attempts. Let's just we have to put that out there too. I I don't I've I was being probably a little bit kind, but I don't see the value. I mean maybe you bring in an extra person into the front office with their top priority being find a good trade for Greg Monroe. I I think it's gotta be near top priority. Like you've gotta have on draft night, you'll have all the stuff going on with the draft, but if in the build up to that day you can find a deal move them on, get something real back, something that helps you now, helps you in the near future, if not immediately, you've got to do it. I just, it's not a good fit. The books have their own decisions to make. They have Henson tied up to good money. They have Plumley as a guy they've been vocal about wanting to bring back. He's going to get paid, maybe not paid as much as we've suggested in the past. I'm starting to think we've overvalued him a little bit. But he's still going to get good money. And then there's a chance to take a center in the draft. Jakob Poodle's a player who they seem to like quite a lot. You've got all this going on, and you've got Greg Monroe there. As I said, there's still this nightmare scenario where they can't move him. He ends up injured or something and then decides to opt in for his final season. And this bad fit then sort of stagnates, hangs around, lingers like a bad smell. And... What's that smell? Hashtag what's that smell? Uh, I I'd make it a very very close to top priority to move him. What a what a sad sad thing. If you thought free agent small forwards was depressing, that was depressing. <laughs> <laughs> And it makes it makes me sadder. Sadder. I used to I used to be angry about Greg Monroe around the trade deadline when everyone else didn't really like the idea, and I was like, trade him, trade him now. I, I used to get angry. I'm not angry anymore. I'm sad because it's just in, it. It's worked out much worse than I think anyone could have imagined, um, and that's he puts up these good numbers still. That's what lots of people say. Oh, but he scores or he does, but that's. Part of the point is he does that in his own way. And that's what makes things difficult. He's not really doing that in fitting with the team in a way that's probably best for them. It's tricky. You nearly have to go out of your way to mesh Greg Monroe into what you're doing. You're officially maybe, a Bucks fan. Damn it. Maybe, maybe that's harsh. That's harsh on me. That's harsh on me, first of all. But... Maybe that's harsh as maybe he can make adjustments this summer and come back and fit better. I just, I don't see it. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't have the legs in him to sort of get out and be a rim runner like Plumley did. He can't maybe offer some of the, the rim protection who did, but he can't offer the rim protection that Henson could. So even with the guys who are on the books roster as is, Monroe has the most skill out of the three of them, but he's more difficult to get the best out of without damaging what you're doing as a team, I think, of the three of them. Yeah. Next one from Aftmatastic. 
if this trade happened, like in my 2K16, my player, would the fan base explode? The trade in question was the Bucks receive Chris Bosch, the Miami Heat receive Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes, the fan base would explode, particularly because of some of the troubling rumors around Chris Bosch at the moment. Uh, hopefully, none of that turns out to be reality. All the best, Chris Bosch. But yes, that would make people pretty angry. Yeah. Next one from Atmetastic. If Greg Monroe were a Nick Cage film, which would he be? And why is it the Wicker Man? I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a. Well, first off, okay, we know it's not National Treasure. Greg Monroe is definitely not National Treasure. I have a film that I think perfectly sums up Greg Monroe, and Nick face Cage. Film. What did you say? Did you say face off? No. Oh. I'm gonna go with Bad Lieutenant. Port of Call New Orleans. Oh. Which, fittingly, Port of Call New Orleans seems like a good idea, one that everyone would be happy with. Um, but Bad Lieutenant, I don't know if many people have seen it. It's a little bit sort of like some sort of bad acid trip, which may be how people reflect on the Greg Monroe experience down the line. Hashtag Port of Call New Orleans. That's my choice. Um, maybe he's, uh, hmm, maybe drive angry. (laughs) I like that because he screams and won when he drives rather angrily. I like that a lot. Um, we're doing better at this game than I would have anticipated. Yeah. I mean, there's a, well, there's just so many questionable Nick Cage drums. Um, I don't know. I, that's a tough question. There's a lot of worthy candidates. I'm just uh, I'm I'm trying to see if there's any others we've missed right now. Bring out the dead, maybe. I don't even know what that movie is. Just, just, I'm just purely because Greg Monroe resembles the NBA dead. Um, <laughs> it could happen to you. I'm just looking at Nick Cage's filmography right now, but it could happen to you. Uh, Ghost Rider. <laughs> Ghost Rider 2 book is a book of shadows? Something? No. Book of Shadows. <laughs> That's spectacular, Jordan. No, it, it's Spirit of Vengeance. Uh, Spirit of Vengeance, there we go. Book of Shadows is the third one, clearly. Is that Sherlock Holmes? Book of I, Shadows or something? I think it was Book of Shadows, but Book of Shadows can be the, the, the third entry in the Ghost Rider series. It's now going into development as we speak. They just needed the hook. Uh, yeah. Given it to them. Um... I, I'm. I don't think I can top Bad Lieutenant, so no. I'm gonna stick with that one. Hashtag Port of Call New Orleans. Um, 
also from Metastic. Also, if any of you have seen it, would you rather watch The Wicker Man every day for two years or have Greg Monroe for two years? Well, we can. I mean, there's a possibility that we have a Greg Monroe for two years. Yeah, so instead of that, would you rather watch The Wicker Man every day for two years? Um, oh, man. Not the uh, beans. I'm I'm choosing the Wicker Man because at least I can like, you know, you can watch things. They could be on the background, and you can do other things. Greg Monroe provides me with such distractions on a near daily basis, occasional headaches. That I know I feel like the Wicker Man will be less intrusive in my life. Maybe, yeah. It's just a bad movie. We'll move on. This is it's all turning too much on Greg Monroe, and I don't I don't want it to be like that. It's unfortunate the way things are, but I don't want it to be. <laughs> Next one, a frightened inmate, our very own Michael. Thoughts on DeAndre Bembry as a fit? Is he someone that could play in the backcourt with Cash? Could he play at Middleton? Uh, in spots, yes. A little bit. It's not ideal. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not um, sold on his books fit. I like him as a player, but I'm not completely sold on his books fit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I then it, I feel like if you brought him Bembry. I mean, they need a second unit. Create, well, they just need a second unit, but they they need a second unit wing. Um, but then also, I feel like if you add on a shooting guard or any type of guy, younger guy, it, it would be it would be more passable if it was better. But if you add on like a rookie shooting guard wing, whatever, I feel like that would create questions regarding Rashad Vaughn. And I I don't uh, really want to go down this road, but what is Rashad Vaughn's trade value? I think a Wicker Man DVD. <laughs> oh God! Will Rashad Vaughn sign the Wicker Man DVD? Oh, well, that's a different question. <laughs> the next one <laughs> from our Shaq be snacking. Shaq be snacking knows us well. I'm assuming you guys will talk about Harkless. <laughs> yeah, we did. If you had to pick between him and Alan Crabb, who would you pick? I I think it's easy. I think it's Alan Crabb. Alan Crabb has a lot more upside. I mean, if it's just this sort of vacuum where you can pick between the two, where contract doesn't matter as much, I I think I'd go Alan Crabb. Yeah. Um, as much as I like Harkless, just Crab seems like a good fit, regardless of. Yeah, I definitely Crab. Yeah, I, I like both of them. I'd happily take both, but if I pick between, I'd go Crab. Um, once again, I check be snacking. I've been looking at a lot of Poodle stuff. How good do you guys think he is? 
is he worth getting if he falls that low? I, I'm going to go on record. I said this to Jordan during the week. I fully expect Jakob Poodle to be the Bucks pick at number 10 if he is on the board. There is a lot of things just that seem to be... There's like a perfect synergy in it. First off, he has played under Utah Utes coach, former Bucks player and coach. Larry Kuskoviak. Coach K. Not not the Coach K, but Coach no, K. The Coach K. Okay. Um, that is the Bucks connection. When he was asked, he did interview with the Bucks, and when he was asked about it at the Combine, he said it was something, I think he, he mentioned it was something that he discussed with Coach K, as Jordan wants us to to allude to our good friend Larry. But he said it was something he discussed and he liked his fit with the team, um, which is interesting. You don't often hear sort of specifics like that at the Combine. Some guys do choose to go into it, but it was a very specific thing and he, he seemed to genuinely like the books. It was also something I picked up on from... I can't remember. I was working on some piece, but the day after that, I ended up reading a few pieces that were in the Utah media. And to say they were all transfixed on the whole books connection would be an understatement. I can't remember exactly where it was. So I probably shouldn't even be saying it now because people would likely want to go and find it. But there was one of the pieces I saw. They indicated that Rumor has it the book's interest in Poodle is very strong. They're that they're quite keen on him. Um in terms of how good he is, I think he's very good. I think he's got pretty good polish. I think he can grow and develop. He won't be great to begin with, but I feel like you could go and nearly start him for the season and play him close to starters minutes and not sort of be bitten for for being a rookie. I don't think he's going to hurt you in that way. Um, he's not necessarily going to transform how things operate on the floor, but I don't feel like his game sets up in a way that there'll be a massive adjustment. Obviously, he'll have to get used to the physicality, probably have to get a little bit stronger, but I feel like for the most part, he can cope with a lot of what's going to be thrown at him. If he falls down there, it depends on what the books want to do. My favorite prospect right now, and at this point I'm starting to think it's not going to change, is Wade Baldwin. I would very much like Wade Baldwin to be the books' next point guard. That leaves me a little bit torn, but I, would I be unhappy if they drafted Poodle? Definitely not. Yeah, I, I think... I can't remember if this was... If we were talking about this, or if I read it, because I've read a lot of mock drafts. Draft Express had a new one. Sam Bassini of CBS Sports had a new one. Someone said that he's kind of like the perfect blend of what Monroe and Plumley is, where he he's a good. That was that was me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, that's what I thought. That was me in private conversation. 
Yeah. Uh, and it makes sense because he is. He, I, I just, I don't know. It may, as a big man, there might not be a better fit for, or there, as a big man, there might not be a better fit for what he is or what he does in the Bucks. Like, that doesn't make sense if I. No, but it. I know, I know what you're saying because when I said that to you, my thinking in that is that he can give a lot of what the books thought they were getting with Monroe in terms of the style. Like they felt last year in the playoffs, they were hurt for not having an inside presence who they could throw the ball to and try to play that way. He can do that much more so. Like you don't run post-ups for Miles Plumley. You could do that for Poodle, but at the same time, he could get out and rim run much like Plumley did. And that is a really nice combination. One other thing that I found really interesting, because it was sort of a strange one. It's not a comparison anyone's got to jump out to make. But Poodle said the player that he sees himself potentially being like in the NBA is Pau Gasol. He talked about he really, really wants to work on stretching his range out. He feels he can shoot, just hasn't shown it yet. He said it's something he wants to work on a lot. And he thinks if he could stretch the floor a little bit, he could be very like Pau Gasol. I don't quite see that, but it's interesting that he's even thinking in that way. Um, I like to hear he's working on developing his game to a point where he could maybe stretch the floor a little too. And definitely for the books, if you have a combination of Monroe, Plumley skills, and then you can develop some shooting range, at the moment, they don't have any big man on the roster who can do that. So that would be something really important. I like the fit. I like the fit a lot. I, I'm not sure how many. Not sure how many guys there is like in free agency. There are some good centers, but I don't know how many that you'd go. Okay, well that's a better option than Poodle because, obviously, most free agents worth getting are going to get paid pretty well. You've got this guy who's young enough that you can develop him. Maybe he becomes something even better than you expect. Somewhere, I, I can't remember which mock I've seen this on, but this did come from a mock or a big board. There's obviously a connection, as in Andrew Bogut played at Utah as well, didn't so. he? Yeah. And there, there are similarities. Justin Zanuck, what? What's the Utah's GM? This is the GM. Yeah, but not. Does he have any connection to the Utah Utes, or are you just? No, not, not at all. Okay, so <laughs> that was just a Jordan moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Andrew Bogut, there are, there are some similarities between him and Poodle in terms of style. There, there's not the sort of. I can I can see that comparison. It's interesting because even Andrew Pogut as he is now is pro- would probably fit the books really well. Oh, funnily enough, yeah, um, yeah. So I I like Poodle quite a bit. I don't know if he'd be my first choice, but he'd be quite close to it. Everyone can make fun of me when the books don't pick Poodle. On draft night, um, I have gone early. I have made my prediction before the lottery. 
disregard that completely when we are celebrating the book's first overall pick tomorrow night. Tonight, as you listen to this. Um, but otherwise, in the unlikely event that the books pick 10th overall, yeah, Poodle seems good. Next one, once again, from at Shaq B. Snacking, something of a follow on. How would you feel if the books traded Henson and Monroe and let Plumley walk? Especially if drafting Poodle. Um, so basically, just starting fresh. Um, that would make me concerned that a certain Dwight Howard is. Oh, oh dear. Guess uh, Johnson's been talking. Uh, uh, I would feel odd about that. I, I, it's not. It's not. It wouldn't necessarily be bad. It's just it would be a very drastic thing to do. Yeah. Particularly after extending Henson last summer. Extending Henson, signing Monroe. It would be a very sort of. I have come around, this is not going to be a popular opinion, I've come around to letting Plumlee walk. Oh, I don't don't think he, yeah, well, if he wants to walk for miles. I don't think he's worth the close to double digits that we all seem to have talked into. I, I just don't. I think it's I think he's the classic case of we're valuing him at what he has been worth to the books, but I don't think the rest of the NBA is going to see it like that. Now, if he does, if he does sort of, if he does fetch that sort of price, I just don't know. Is he worth that? Uh, I mean. There is no perfect free agent big man. Um, I don't know. Again, we talked about this with Bayless too. Like, they mean more to the Bucks than maybe other teams. But this, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know. That's the other one, to be honest. I'm starting to think maybe the Bucks could resign Bayless. I just, I just don't think that. There's front offices around the league that are going just just wait till free agency opens so we can go and get Jared Bayless. <laughs> I, I I it's it's hard not to because we are in a books bubble. Obviously, this is the team that if you're listening to this, you likely follow most closely. Um, it's definitely the case for for Jordan and I. I mean, in that sort of scenario. It's hard not to place greater value on what you have and what you see all the time. I just don't think. Remember, Miles Plumlee, okay, he took a big jump and he became so much more important than we would have thought. But Miles Plumlee was the guy who they couldn't find a trade for around Christmas time. How quickly things change? Or not. I honestly, I don't. I don't think there'll be suitors, no doubt. Teams would like to have him. He's a good, very good backup center. I like him a lot. Don't make any mistake on that. I just, 
if we're talking about getting close to 10 million, I don't know if he's actually worth that. Unless the books are prepared to make him the starting center. Things change if they move Monroe and they draft a point guard. Then it's different because then you're looking at maybe him and Henson sharing that responsibility long term. Then I'm on board with it. If they're going to draft a center or if Monroe's still around, under no circumstances should they really go and sort of reach to keep Plumley. He was very well, good. That's... He was an important player in the latter half of the season. I just don't see why he has to be that important long term. I feel his what he brings can actually be easily replaced. I don't think it's an yes. uncommon skill set to have. He's basically a good rim runner who creates pretty good chemistry and is a mediocre defender. He's not he's not a lockdown defender. So I suppose he's a good defender. That's probably a little harsh. He's a good defender, not a great defender. But good defender and a rim runner. Not hard to find. It's a guy in the second round by the name of Chinanu Onowaku. I mean, it comes down to, I think, any big man question, free agent big man question, or not free agent, the big man on the Bucks right now. What do you think is more possible, them letting Plumlee walk or them admitting the Monroe fit didn't work in training? Probably the former. Oh man! But it's not. I mean, it's not. A, oh man! Like you said, it's easily replicated. I mean, if you draft Yaka Poodle, you're going to expect him to be every bit as Miles Plumley as he is. Yeah, I do think he could and bring a little bit more that. though, as well. And then you have him on a rookie deal for the next few years. Like that's what I, I feel in that sort of scenario. That's just. It makes sense because you could get a lot more than you'd expect to get a lot more than Plumley. Let's be honest, if you, you're taking him as a top 10 pick. No. I should add, the, I, I missed this, but the next part of Shaq B. Snacken's point for that was I say this because I'd really rather have a four who can play five, a backup center, like a trade for a Linux or a similar player. In in that sense, I don't hate the idea of having someone who can maybe stretch the floor a little bit more, not specifically a Linux, but someone who could stretch. I know a favorite of yours, Amir Johnson. Yeah, I, 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 do, I, I do like him. Jordan just got all sort of giddy and stuttery there at the mention. Of yeah, that was not a very, uh, that was not a response at all. That was just <laughs> jabbering. We'll move on. Stop Jordan's jabbering. Um, <laughs> hashtag Jordan's jabbering. Jordan's jabbering. If I had a boxing ring or a boxing gym, that would be a Jordan's jabbering. Not Jordan's jabbing, no. We'll move on. Um, Shaq no, Snacken it makes again. sense because it's a jab. Oh, oh okay, I get that. Okay, oh. I get that. There's a lot of hyphens in there. Dashes. Next one for my Shaq B. Snacking. How on God's earth can Valentine guard point guards? What are the holes in Baldwin's game? 
What makes these not top 10 prospects? Um, I don't, Val, Valentine's too slow to guard most point guards. Yeah. I mean, that one's pretty simple. Holes in Baldwin's game, I'm probably not the best person to ask this question to because I am taking up a position as chairperson of the Wade Baldwin the Fort Supporters Club very soon. You know what'd be crazy? Think about this. You got Johnny O'Brien the third, <laughs> Baldwin the fourth. That's it. Do we not need someone the second? Um, Gerald Henderson. Oh my gosh. Yeah, let's go. Or James Anasenis. James Anasenis. I did think of that, but that's not really the second, as fun as it is. Gerald Henderson is a true second. It's an exponent, too. Um, I mean, we could just collect all those guys. I mean, Glenn Robinson, the third, would have to come in. Oh. Um, isn't there another one, too? There is definitely another one. Oh, Gary Payton, the sequel. <laughs> Gary Payton, too. I mean, I mean, four. <laughs> Payton, you say two. Yeah, he's, he's Gary Payton, too. <laughs> you can't call him Gary Payton. I mean, it's second. No, you can call him Gary Payton the second. No, it sounds too grandiose. And I look at him, he's Gary Payton, too. Um, <laughs> seriously, I'm going to call him that forever. Um Wade Baldwin could be Wade Baldwin the fourth. I, I like that. Gary Payton too, though. Um, I was going to say the fourth. It's rare to have four generations in the name. Yeah. There's something. Forget forget the name stuff. What are the holes in Baldwin's game? I. It's turnover prone. He's. I mean, as a point guard, if you were, if it was any other team. But the Bucks, his playmaking and kind of—I don't want to say average, but it's certainly that he could be a lot better as a point guard, skills-wise. Um, but if it's any other t- had plans for any other team for the Bucks, if he was as the Bucks point guard, be a shooter, being hopefully a good defender that's all you really need and he can play that isn't to say he doesn't play me but it's if you're not the primary one that doesn't it's it's not as big of a problem yeah that's that's a great point because at least initially i don't think there's any team who can get the best out of him quite like the books can and that's because as you said he's turnover prone well, the advantage of that in Milwaukee is he's not going to have to do all the playmaking, so his turnovers will go down. You don't need him to be more creative with the ball. He can be a shooter, which he's very good at. He has great length, so defensively, he'll fit into a system where guys are going to switch around. I genuinely think he's a perfect fit for the books in terms of point guard. He is... In some senses, a Michael Carter Williams who is sort of, I guess he knows his place better, so he's not as active. He doesn't force things. He doesn't need to make things happen, and he can shoot. You know what I mean? A lot of the the hypothetical 
things about MCW being this long guy who can work in the switching defense. Wade Baldwin is even longer. Um, he's a better defender, so that should all sort of mesh together really, really well. And then he's a really good three-point shooter. So if at some point we could buy into MCW working in some way, well, Baldwin has all that stuff, but he has literally the things that MCW was missing for making him a good fit for the books too. I'm all in on Wade Baldwin. Yeah. Thought it'd just be the Warriors, by the way. Hmm. I was going to make another prediction there, but I won't do it. I'm doing too much. But don't need to put my neck out there as much. Yeah, Nostradamus. Um, Nostradamus. Oh, God. Shaq B. Snacken's last question. Why try to draft a player based on fit when he probably won't contribute that quickly? Would it be better to draft on talent? I like this question because it's one that people talk about all the time. And most people, when this question comes up, they just go, draft on talent, always draft on talent. Personally, I feel that's completely idiotic. There are situations where you draft on talent regardless. And they are generally, if you haven't found your sort of key players if you don't have some sort of shape on your roster already then of course you draft on talent when you've got to find players unless maybe you have a first overall or sort of potential transcendent talent who you can't turn up turn down turn up would have been something very different there but unless it's a guy you can't turn down well then draft based on what's going to make you a better team and that's that's where it fits for me i don't want to just pick the individuals i want to make my team better and that's where i generally go and fit obviously if you're a terrible team well then you need the best players that are there for you but if you've got key guys in certain positions already you've got to build around them yeah i mean uh, not to, uh, there's certainly, you can have different examples for either case, but prime example is 76ers. I mean, they're they're in a class of their own for what they tried to do the last couple of years, but the fact that they have three big men, Embiid, Noel, Okafor, they're all, they all, the last two drafts, they operate on talent alone. Partially because of what happened, they they did get the ping pong balls their way, but that that kind of creates a weird future, especially if you throw up away Embiid's health and all that stuff. You can't operate on talent alone with them. They they all don't fit together. So what they might give you best better players in a trade or something like that, but right now they it just I don't know it. Just, that particular example does not fit. Like I said, you can't, there's plenty of examples for why operating a fit alone may not work, and there's plenty of examples why talent doesn't work, but I feel like the better way to do it is go through fit because it gives them a player up a window to perform, and if they don't perform it to a level that the team expects, that's unfortunate, but that's how things go sometimes. And in the book's case, like last season – 
the last season turned out the way it did because certain players didn't fit. So why would you have the opportunity to add players into the mix this summer and blindly just pick players who look to be good regardless of how they fit? Yeah. And John Hammond has commented on this and he has indicated they're going to go on best talent available. I, I saw a quote on that. There was a couple of Hammond quotes recently. I don't know if you saw them. Um, one indicating that younger players was their recent trend. If you if you looked at recent history and sort of indicating that could continue, which is sort of strange. And the, the other was sort of suggesting that drafting on best talent available is something they, they look to do. Last question from at David Dunn 21. The Bucks win the lottery and enter a new golden age of success. Milwaukee becomes the new title town and there's much rejoicing. But at Adam McGee 11, that would be me, will lose his ability to grow facial hair of any kind. People will suggest that it looks better, but at Adam McGee 11, me again, will see through their lives. Can you live with this trade? Jordan, I'm guessing you can live with the trade. Uh, this seems like a one-man question. For uh, me, not Adam. No, I mean, Jordan. I mean, I'm a Hawks fan. <laughs> oh, I, I'm a Hawks fan. I mean, if it comes down to my beard or the books winning the lottery, I mean, the books don't need to win the lottery. That'd be fine. I've got Yanis and Jabari and Middleton. What's wrong with Wade Baldwin at 10? What's wrong with Jakob Poodle? No, keeping the beard. Um, sorry, everyone, but yeah. That's it for this week's podcast. Be sure to follow everything we have coming out in the next day or so. Um, we'll have plenty of stuff on the day of the posting of this podcast related to the draft lottery. And then obviously later in the week, we will go into full celebration mode after the books secure the first overall pick. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. I'll have a link to the Facebook page in the post. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at SoundCloud, add us at Stitcher. And we will be back next week, our forward time. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you.